To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. Things are really changing. There are good people here. People across North Carolina are proud of the fact that the Democratic Party chose to have a convention here. Don't lose hope no matter what they say, because things are starting to happen. But one thing about South Carolina you can always count on, we're always going to surprise you. In fact, I've always been proud to be a Democrat. We need to recognize that we have an opportunity here in Georgia to take back this state and make it blue again. I think Texas is not only going to turn blue, it's just a question of when. Now that will tell you that we have progressed. Join us as we explore the Southern Progressive Revival. Hello everyone, a very happy first night of Hanukkah to all of you and welcome to the 14th episode of Southern Progressive Revival. That's right folks, we skipped over the dreaded numbereth episode to bring you the show tonight with my host Magic. Uh, I am your host, Jonathan Matthews from Richmond, Kentucky, and joining me tonight are the people that make it all possible. Beginning with Ladies First, our very own Ms. Producer, Janet Lee from Lake of the Ozarks area, Missouri. Welcome Janet. Hello everybody, happy to be here tonight. Yes, indeed, and we're happy to have you as always. And, of course, we have the man from Nashville who keeps the rest of us looking cool, Mr. Joey Word. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, guys. Hello, everyone. Yes, thank you so much for being here, Joey. And tonight, we have a lot to get through and two incredible guests. For Damn Yankee, we have on Sue Cohen for her triumphant second return. And for Southern Hospitality, we have Wes Cascarden for the entire hour. So we're looking forward to having both of those conversations. And we hope that you enjoy them as much as we will. So let's go ahead and start the show as we always do with some good news in gentlefolk and situations. But before we get that... Uh, this is a little bit unplanned, but I did want to go ahead and get it on here since we are a Southern politics-focused show. Uh, we got the breaking news today that Jimmy Carter is cancer-free, which is amazing, and I really think that that deserves a round of applause, everybody. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. He deserved that miracle, didn't he? Yes, he did. As much as he has done throughout the course of his life, uh, during his presidency, before it, after, to help people, to help with women's rights, to help in Africa, to help in his local community, is it's just amazing. And, you know, I remember when the reports first came out about it, and they had Sanjay Gupta on and several other medical experts, and, you know, they were saying because of his advanced stage that this will probably be it, but that's not the oh, case. Wow. He is still going, and he is cancer-free, so that is tremendous news. Yes, it is. Way to go, Mr. President. Yes, indeed. (laughs) All right, so let's go ahead and get into Southern Hospitality with a little bit of good news from down Oklahoma way. Southern Hospitality. Oh, I am so sorry. General focus situation. (laughs) I got ahead of myself by a whole two hours. There we go. Yeah, Governor Fallon says she has confidence in Catholic Charities, the organization in charge of relocating those uh, Syrian refugees into her state. That organization saying tonight it is ready to do its job if and when it gets the call. It's uh, one of the calls of the church to be present to the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. Gentle folk and situations. All right, so uh, that was a little bit of the audio. We have some more. 
this incredible story from down in Oklahoma. Uh, of course, as we discussed on the last show, right now there's a whole lot of fear-mongering going around uh, amongst certain uh, non-news stations and many conservative politicians about the threat that refugees could bring to the country if we brought them in. But Oklahoma City Catholic Charities has come out to say that they're ready to take in refugees no matter where they're from. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play the next part of the audio so that we can get Janet and Joey in on the conversation. But I did want to point out there, and the reason I put that in the jingle, it's, you know, saying that it's the responsibility of the church to do that, to take care of of the poor and the widows and and the refugees. And that's just a beautiful thing. And I, I thought that that was tremendously good news. But let's go ahead and get to the rest of that audio so that we can continue the conversation. Executive Director of the Oklahoma City Catholic Charity says the Syrian refugee debate is a complicated matter that should not be used as a scare tactic. The process of bringing refugees in is very scripted, very controlled by the U.S. government. Before immigrants end up at the steps of his building, he says they're vetted through multiple federal agencies. It's a tightly controlled and scripted process that begins overseas. I think that a governor has a responsibility to the citizens of their state, and so I can understand the impulse to uh, declare that we're going to do everything we can to keep our citizens safe. In a statement, Governor Fallon says she has confidence in the organization's work and process. Quote, Oklahomans have welcomed refugees escaping religious persecution for many years and will continue to do so, end quote. And since 2012, three Syrian refugees have been relocated with their families right here in Jinx, Oklahoma. Right now, the organization says it can take up to 200 refugees from any country. So, Janet, let's go ahead and start with you. There were two things that I noticed there that really stuck out for me. And the first one was that you know, he explained that the processes that we already have in place for refugees are strong, and they be- they begin before they even leave the Middle East or wherever they're coming from and come to the United States, and that we already have those intact, despite all the scare rhetoric that has come from the right. And the second is that the governor came out and said that, that Oklahoma has a proud history of taking in refugees, those that are experiencing religious persecution, and Governor Fallon is a Republican. Yeah, and she is a real right-wing one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shocked because isn't she the one that did not want federal help when they had a tornado? Uh, yep, she was that one, and she uh, also was involved in the Ten Commandments issue that we reported on uh, about, I guess it was a month yeah. and a half ago. She's a real fat whack. So I was I was shocked when um, I ran across this because yeah, I, I could not believe that she seems reasonable. I mean, yeah. I, I guess every once in a while the apple falls into the basket instead of on the ground, but <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, whoa. <laughs> and, and she is also telling that red state that the president's not lying by saying, you know, they have uh, been vetted. Because even though she's making it seem like they've done the vetting, it's really the government. Yeah, it's it's the federal government that's done it. And, um, you know, like you said, she, she is definitely a far right-wing governor. 
Um, but you know, it, it's my hope that through this, that you know, perhaps she she's a, a true conservative and she has those political inclinations because she truly believes in them. And uh, showing that sort of compassion, Joey. I mean, yeah. they they talk a lot about passionate conservatism. You don't see it a lot, but this is an actual example of it. Yeah, that's surprising to me too, man. You know, because uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna say something about Catholic Charities. They they have a branch here in Nashville, and they they helped me out a couple of times. And you know, they're mm-hmm. a good organization. You know, they're good. But this is good news, you know, uh, Mary Fallon. <laughs> it's pretty good news. Yes, indeed. And I I would play the applause track again, but I'll try to keep it down for this episode. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, credit is due where it is due. Governor yeah. Fallon, we I we applaud you. Yeah. yeah. I was just shocked. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, Oklahoma is uh, going to be taking in refugees, which is good. Um, uh, Catholic Charities, of course, is doing this based off of religious ideals, and uh, that that's a wonderful thing. They truly do want to help people. They want to reach out regardless of where they are from. Uh, it doesn't matter what their faith is, what their background is. You know, if they need help, then they're going to be there to help them, and... Uh, I was not aware until tonight's episode that Joey had received help from them before, but that's even better. So, mm-hmm. so kudos yeah, yeah. to that organization as well. Yeah, yeah, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, they, 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 nice people. Real nice. Yeah, people. they really are. My sisters worked um, with them in Omaha. Sister oh, Joe. very cool. Catholic houses, Catholic worker houses, and all that. That is awesome. And Sister Joe, if you're listening, hello. Since Janet usually yeah, says it she's first. Not so. there yet. Oh, no. Slate tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that, uh, yes, as soon Grimmie's as Sister here, Joe arrives. Grimmie. Hi, Grimmy. Thank you so much for listening. And everybody else that's in the chat who I cannot see for. I am terrible at the multitasking, but that is okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah, you, me and you in the same boat, man. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I am not alone. That makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah, that that is some uh some awesome news. The the next story, and don't think we're getting ahead of ourselves. This is not voices of our black past, present, and future just yet, but we have a bit of audio from a documentary that was done in honor of the uh I believe it was fiftieth anniversary. Is that right, yes. Janet? Of the bus boycott. Yes, the 50th anniversary of the Best Boycott by Rosa Parks. Um, Of course, as we know from before, uh, Rosa was not the first person to refuse to give up a seat, but she was the one that uh, the Civil Rights Movement chose to use in that position um, to further the movement. But uh, so, yeah, this is this is, of course, not a news story, but we are going to go ahead and play that audio and I'm going to let Janet discuss it because it really goes into a lot of what we will be discussing for the remainder of the show, and I'm sure a lot of you can guess what that is. So let me go ahead and get to that audio, and I will let Janet loose. So here we go. From the time of the arrest, the word had gotten around over Montgomery. The ministers were very much interested in it, and we had our meetings in the churches. She felt that the church had a responsibility to be active, and certainly she was proud of the way that it did so. 
Indeed, Mrs. Parks was to become a deaconess in the AME church. She said that it was in her church that I learned people should stand up for their rights just as the children of Israel stood up to the Pharaoh. You know, she is locked in American history as the bus woman, the woman who wouldn't move on the bus. So that was, that was her contribution to the struggle for racial justice. In point of fact, she had a long life after that and before that where she did many things that were courageous and brave. While her protest on that day in 1955 may have been spontaneous, Mrs. Parks had been attending anti-segregation workshops at the famous Highlander Folk School, devoted to leadership training for trade unionists and civil rights workers. All right, Janet, I am looking forward to hearing this. I know that everybody else will enjoy it as well, but she certainly was not just the best woman. No, she wasn't. Um, And the thing is, her civil rights movement, the civil rights movement, they called her the mother of the freedom movement, was a carefully crafted one. It wasn't it didn't just happen in that moment because it was thought out and planned in the very, to the very last detail. And they worked on that for almost two years. They uh, had workshops on not fighting back, on um, all the different things that they could do. They knew exactly the type of person that they wanted to do what they did. And originally, the the... The boycott was because African Americans would have to get on the front door of the bus. And then they had to get off the bus again after they paid and then go back to the back door and then get on. But some bus drivers were assholes. Well, they were. Um, And they would just drive off and leave them. Well, if you earned a nickel that day or quarter or whatever it is you earned and you pay a nickel for that uh, bus ride, you spent a heck of a lot of your earnings just to get back and forth to work. Um, and then not to mention how the how humiliating and degrading that would be. Um, another one, another trick they used to pull was there was tape or they put something like where there was a division where the African-Americans sit and the whites would sit in the front of the bus and the African-Americans would sit in the back. Well, if there was too many whites getting on the bus, they just kept moving that tape back further and further. And then that would mean that the um, African-Americans would have to get up, let the whites sit in their seat, and then they'd have to stand toward the back. That's what happened to Claudette. She was, and the Supreme Court said that Um, that was against the law, that once they got in their seat, that um, that practice was unconstitutional. That was her seat. She paid for that seat during the ride. But, so when they got a hold of Claudette, and Claudette refused to move to the back, she wasn't lying when she said, I didn't do anything wrong. Because legally, that was um, what they were allowed to do by law. But uh, what she was you know, they there was so much institutional racism. Everybody knew the unwritten rule. You know, move it on back. Well, they refused, started to refuse to ride the bus. Okay, the African Americans then started refusing to ride the bus in response to Rosa Parks. There was a lot of careful planning uh, that went into this. 
people drove in carpools, they walked, they took taxis, they did what they needed to do to get to work. The bus system refused to bend. This is how unbelievably racist these people. Anyway, this bus system went bankrupt. The parent bus company said, no more. No, we're, we're ending this segregation. So AM decided the African American realized they could go as long as they needed and expand their goal. So no more was the goal just to be able to get on the bus in the front and they can't drive off or that they could sit in the back and once they had their seat, um, they couldn't be moved back and made to stand. Their goal was for full segregation. And my point at this whole thing is when is a one-time event, when does that become a movement? And how do we ensure that the people that we're going to be talking about below are honored by a meaningful reform when it comes to guns? Because that's what we're dealing with now, whether it's the Planned Parenthood murders, the homegrown um, people that are just nuts with homegrown terrorists. There's plenty of them. And all the other things that are going on. How do we plan rationally coming together to start dealing with these things is my point this. Yeah, and Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I would really love to get Joey's input on this too. But, you know, um, uh, I, I thought that it was beautiful that, uh, you know, this she she wasn't just the bus lady you know we we brought this up because this was a part of a peaceful and and calculated movement in order to gain civil rights for the african american community and it ultimately succeeded and right now it feels a lot like we can't succeed like there's never going to be any meaningful reform when it comes to how we handle the purchasing of guns when it comes to background checks when it comes to assault weapons and while this in a lot of ways is difficult to compare with the struggle for civil rights um it is something that threatens the life of all of us we you know here in america we are more likely to be gunned down in a mass shooting than we are to be killed by a terrorist, uh, a, tr- a terrorist in the foreign sense. You know, you managed to get shot down just walking down the street mm-hmm. by a robber, <laughs> you know, <laughs> before you get uh, uh, terrorized by a terrorist, a so-called terrorist. You know, it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous out here. And, but how do we build a movement to get, you know, the, uh, you know, to me, this is, we need to follow their example as far as the careful planning. You know, like Rosa Parks didn't just wander onto the bus and um, accidentally get the, She had a major background. She'd been mm-hmm. talking to Malcolm X and all these different people and had been going to workshops it just so happened that day she was tired and said, okay, this is the day. Yeah, enough, and enough. Um, yeah. enough's enough. I'm done. I've had it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> enough is enough. 
enough that's is not, enough like, is enough. That's that's how you know here in Nashville the 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 counter you know the you know they want to serve people at the counters black people at the counters and they had sit-ins and stuff and they got assaulted right. and everything you know they said enough is enough I'm spending my money here you know but me personally you know I wouldn't have gave them I wouldn't want to give them the business anyway if they want would want me in there you know but they was you know I guess they was trying to prove a point and and they opened up some doors you know. You know, I, my elders opened up some doors for a lot of things. You know, they endured a lot, but they opened up some doors and made people think. And made people change their hearts. Some did, some didn't. So that's a good thing about the civil rights movement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's going to take a big show of all of us mm-hmm. coming back together to start fighting this. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the same can be said for women's rights, which are being encroached yes. upon. Um, the same can be said for uh, in any number of issues that we're, we're currently facing, because, you know, in a lot of ways, it really feels like we're heading backward at this point. And it's it's difficult. And it's not just a Southern problem, even though that's what we focus on on the show. You know, this is something that happens all across the world. And and here in a few minutes, we are going to uh, sort of speak about the the heroes that were murdered in Colorado Springs um, in order to honor them and also not to just make them victims, to, to give them the respect and the honor and the dignity that they deserve. But... I, I hope that this can start a conversation and that indeed we can figure out how to take lessons from our past and to use those to receive actionable change now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right now, uh, you know, like I said, these, well, uh, and oh, I'm just hmm? going to say, uh, Mizeny and racism from sister Joe twin mindsets of power and control. And Martin Luther presented an alternative model of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. And then um, she gave a link to Positive Peace Warrior work at WordPress. And that's in the chat room. That is excellent. Yes. If, if you were listening right now and you were not in the chat, please uh, do come in and check that out. Uh, if you are not, then we will post it on our Facebook page after the show so that everybody can see it. Uh, but thank you very much, Sister Joe, and welcome to the program. Uh, But right now we are going to go ahead and play a little bit of brief audio about the three heroes who were killed during the attacks in Colorado Springs. Um, The, the Colorado is obviously not the South, but I think that it's fair to say at this point that the issue of gun control in this country is something that affects us all. And it's something that affects the South as well is the North and the West and any other part of this country. So we are going to give them the respect that they deserve. So let's go ahead and play that audio. And after that, uh, Janet has some more in-depth details uh, about the three heroes. Nine people are wounded. Three die. 29-year-old Kier Stewart, a father of two girls, served in Iraq. His brother says he just walked outside the Planned Parenthood office when he was shot. He tried to get back inside and warn the others, you know, take cover. Military instinct, you know, get down, take cover, 
and then he called 911 and those are those are some of his last moments what does that tell you about him that's the big brother I know Jennifer Markovsky was helping a friend that day. She was married with two kids. 44-year-old police officer Garrett Swayze was killed, once a champion junior ice skater who trained with his friend, Olympian Nancy Kerrigan. You can't explain it. It's horrific and sad. At Swayze's church Sunday, they said a prayer for his alleged killer, 57-year-old Robert Deere. All right, and Janet, I will hand the mic over to you. Well... You know, you can hear the grief in everybody's voice, obviously. I think the whole nation was grief with this and then the one that happened out in California. And it was just one right after another. Even though there were others in the country that didn't make the news because there wasn't as many, I guess. Um, but Markoski, he lived in Colorado and uh, she lived in Colorado and she was there with a friend. Markoski was a skater and um, a veteran and um, a father of two. Stewart was at the clinic with somebody when he was shot. The third victim was Swayze, a campus officer who responded and he said that helping others brought him satisfaction and that his last act was for the safety and well-being for others as a tribute. Again, what do we do besides prayers? Are, are, are we going to start a movement, or is this just another moment? What are the steps that we're going to have to do to move to sanity and a movement and stop this mass killing? That's my question. Joey? Yeah. Oh... I mean, I, I don't even know what to think anymore. I'm just um, heart sick. It's just it seems like it's just the same old song. You know, you you know, you play a record if you're from the old school, forty five records. Play that forty five records three minutes in, start it over. Play it yeah. again, start it over. That, that's and, and and it seems like we're getting immune to this. Yeah. And that's scary. We're getting immune to it. Oh, another shooting! Oh, another mass shooting! Oh, well, oh, oh, they, oh, oh, the guy killed himself, or oh, the cops killed him, or what? It is got to be something done. But you know, you got some people out there talking about the president want to take their guns. Oh God! You I'm know, so and, sick and, of and that all argument. this type of crap. You know, I, you know, I'm a gun owner myself, and I don't have no fear of the president taking mine because mine is legal. You know, it's legal. Well, and besides that, he's not planning on it. No, he's not going to do it because it's against the Constitution. You know, he's a constitutional lawyer. He yeah. knows the Constitution the front and backwards. Yeah, just nuts. Just plain nuts. It's... I I understand. It's and it's sad, you know. Yeah. And these women are not, these people that were there were not doing anything illegal either. That's the, the thing yeah. that really ticks and, me off. And it's and, taking away rights. What right do they have to take away our right? 
we're supposed to let them have guns to go around and kill everybody. You can't take any guns away. And they're coming there to kill people because they're saying women are killing babies, even though they didn't do that at this clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I was. That's what I was going to get at. You know, you, you got this big megaphone out there. Only thing they do is abortions. No, man, it's women go there for cancer screenings and all type of stuff, trying to keep healthy, get, get you know, uh, contraceptives, you know, trying to keep from from preventing to getting pregnant. You know, it's uh, uh, it's not just just people there just to get abortions. Mm-hmm. It's not some yeah. back alley. It's not some back alley place where where some crazy looking lady giving some teenager an abortion. You know. On right. top of their table. No, it's not like that. But you got you know. people out there, you know. And even if they were, it's still legal. You know, and there is no federal funding going to this. But the point is, how do you say, pray for the dead, don't take our guns, so that we can come and kill you at an abortion clinic? Because you, we say that your removal of fetal tissue is murder. Mm-hmm. What kind of upside down world are we in? It's insane. And, you know, something that I thought was interesting, and I don't know how familiar either of you are with The Onion, but it is a satirical news site. And it came to light after, oh gosh, when was it? I, I think it was the Umpqua Community College shooting, that what they typically do is that they put out pretty much a standard piece every single time that there's a mass shooting. And it's it's funny, but at the same time, there's a profundity there. And you can read it, and you can see it between the lines. And what I found interesting was that today, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I saw that they had posted a piece, um, and of course it was it was a humor piece, but you could tell that there was a message there. And the piece talked about somebody, uh, uh, a crazy guy who wanted to shoot up a Planned Parenthood and how he was frustrated that he had to drive over 300 miles to find a clinic. And on the, you know, on, on the surface, it sounds crude, but what I took from that and, and what I hope that a lot of people took from that is that, Republican governors, the Republican Party, despite all the efforts that we've put into trying to keep Planned Parenthood alive, have done a great bit of damage to Planned Parenthood. And these clinics are disappearing. Uh, even before this call, um, you know, I was, we were, we always talk a little bit before the show. And uh, I found out that the satellite office for Planned Parenthood that was here in Richmond, Kentucky, was permanently closed. So, you know, it's it's getting insane. And Planned Parenthood is providing necessary services that need to be provided to people that need them most, but their clinics are disappearing, and individuals like this are not making it any better. Okay, and I just got a text from uh, Sue. She's on Skype ready whenever you are and sister joe says organize often we talk about community organizing organizing's not about organizing anything it's already organized in favor of those with power 
and how are using it badly. The secret is DIS organized power arrangements that don't work for all of us, like gun laws, like the banking and insurance structures, like bad cops. See, I think she ought to come on too and talk to us about organizing. Oh yeah, we would love that's to have her she's on. Done. Yeah, that's what that's what my sister Joe has done. There you go. So there, she said, "I'm hollering at the screen. Can you hear me?" Yes. <laughs> yes, coming, we can definitely lady. hear you. And we would love to have you on the show, Miss Sister Joe. All right, so we went a little bit over. Uh, I, I think that it was deserved, considering what we were talking about. But we're going to go ahead and run to a real quick break. And when we get back, we are going to have Voices of Our Black, Past, Present, and Future, the third installment, with our very own Joey Word. So stay tuned here with us on Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. And we know Democrats support the working men and women of this country, so we understand hard work. So let's talk a little bit about ideas and how we reclaim ideas that we know win in red states. Southern Progressive Revival at Indy Media Weekly Radio. everybody, Kim Williams here, proprietor of IndieMediaWeekly.com and IndieMediaWeekly Radio. We invite you to check out Ready to Fight for Liberals and Justice, a Facebook community that many of us are a part of here at Indie Media Weekly. Many of our contributors and listeners are as well. So if you're a fan of Facebook, you should check out Ready to Fight for Liberals and Justice and join us. We are ready to fight, and we hope you are too. And we hope to see you there. Just search for Ready to Fight for Liberals and Justice anytime you're on Facebook. Light out. Everybody. Every Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, Indie Media Weekly presents the Sci-Fi Double Feature with two old-time radio shows from the science fiction and horror genre. The Sci-Fi Double Feature every Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern right here on Indie Media Weekly. Are you ready for the fastest hour in radio? Listen every Thursday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern to Paul's Memory Bank exclusively on Indie Media Weekly. DJ Paul will serve up a mix of classic rock, pop, and novelty music all tied together with a weekly theme. Be sure to sign up in the Paul's Memory Bank chat. Simply go to IndieMediaWeekly.com, select the Live tab, and scroll down to Paul's Memory Bank. Paul's Memory Bank, live every Thursday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern, only on Indie Media Weekly. Hi, this is Kenny Pick from Turn Up the Night, and you're listening to Indie Media Weekly. Don't change that dial. If you do, I'll know. Like a sneaky ninja, I will know. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. We're the people you see every day in the grocery stores. We obey the laws, we pay our taxes, we fly our flags on holidays. And we plot along, trying to make it better for ourselves and our children. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Southern Progressive Revival for the bottom of the first hour. Our show is still fresh and new. So if you were just tuning in, welcome to the program. I am your host, Jonathan Matthews. And joining me as always are Mr. Joey Word, the man of this half hour and the man of every hour, as far as I'm concerned, from Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, sir. 
Hello. Yes, welcome, sir. And uh, last but not least, our very own Ms. Producer, Miss Janet Lee from Lake of the Ozarks area, Missouri. Hello, how are you? Everybody, I'm really happy to see people. Yes, indeed. It's always wonderful to have you here with us every week. We love all of you, and please keep coming back and tell your friends we love you, and we want to spread the good news to everybody. Sorry, I'm kind of trying to do more multitasking. I thought I was better at this. No! (laughs) I just sent you a message. (laughs) I I just got it. Uh, So thank you so much for that. Uh, But yeah, we... uh, had a little bit of an issue behind the scenes, but we got that fixed, and uh, that is a good thing. So I will go ahead and get that taken care of while we get into Joey's segment. And tonight, we will be introducing audio clips into his segment, so that should be fun. Uh, but without any further ado, let me go ahead and get the jingle going so Joey can get us on a roll. And here we go. Voices of our Black past, present, and future with Joey Word. We have come here from the dusty plantations of the deep south. There have been many of our people across the country from all walks of life who have taken it upon themselves to try and pull their ideas. It was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola to register to become first-class citizen. I've had a number of threatening calls, people calling me saying they were going to kill me. My mother explained racism and segregation to me. And what she said, and I'll never forget this, she said, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This might be the way they are now, but they are not supposed to be this way. All right, Joey, take it away. And when you are ready for your audio, just let me know, sir. Yeah, uh, today's Shiro of the week is, her name is, it, uh, she's a Texas congresswoman. Her name is Barbara Jordan. Uh, uh, she rose to the national stage from Houston, Texas, large, largely Amer- African-American Fifth Ward, becoming, becoming a public defender of the U.S. Constitution and a, and a leading presence in Democratic poly- Party politics for two decades. She all she also she was the first black uh, uh, black woman elected to Texas State Senate, and the first black Texan in Congress, as a member of the House Judiciary uh, uh, Committee. She gave influ- influential opening speech of Richard Nixon's nineteen seventy four impeachment hearings. <laughs> so. Uh, She's, you know, she's bad, man, you know, and I'm glad you brought her to my attention. I was eventually, you know, uh, <laughs> found her, but you found her quit pretty quick, uh, uh, Jonathan. I want to thank you for that, man. Oh, not a problem. This is actually uh, somebody who Kim Williams brought to my attention, and her oh. story was just so compelling that I wanted to know more about her. And since yeah. you are the uh, th- the official historian of Southern Progressive Revival, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Who better to so, have it? <laughs> yeah, and, and and she attended the uh, uh, segregated Phyllis Wheatley High School, uh, where a career day speech by Edith Sampson, a black lawyer, inspired her to become an attorney. Jordan was a member of the inaugural uh, class of Texas Southern University, a black college hastily created by a Texas legislator to avoid having and uh, integrate the University of Texas. There's Jordan joined the debate team and helped lead to the national renown. 
to team famously tied Harvard's debaters when they came to Houston. You know, and you know this. She's real expiring, though. You know, uh, she graduated a uh, 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 a magnum cum laude from Texas uh, Southern University in 1956, and 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 was accepted at Boston University's law school. <clears throat> Three years later, Jordan earned her law degree as one of the only two African American women in her class. She passed the Massachusetts and Texas bars to returned to Houston to open a law law office in uh, Fifth Ward, you know. And she uh, Jordan uh, volunteered for John F. Kennedy's 1960 presidential campaign, heading a Harris County voter drive that yielded an 80% turnout. <laughs> she twice ran unsuccessfully for the Texas House before winning the 1966 contest for for newly created Texas State Senate District, and and uh, and also she uh, she won respect of her colleagues and worked to pass a state minimum wage law that covered farm workers. In her in her final year in the state Senate, uh, Jordan's colleagues elected her president pro tem, allowing her to to uh, serve a governor for a day. That, that was in June tenth, nineteen seventy two in accordance to the state tradition. And uh, five months later, Jordan ran for Congress as a Democratic nominee for Houston's 18th district. She won becoming the first African-American woman from, sub, from a southern state to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives with support from her close advisor, Lyndon B. Johnson. You know, she was appointed to key posts, including on the House Judiciary Committee. Only in uh, on on uh, on July 20, 1974, she gave a fifteen-minute opening statement to the Judiciary Committee's impeachment hearing for Richard Nixon. And could you play that clip for me, man? It would be my pleasure. Let me go ahead and get that going for you right now. All righty, Mr. Chairman, I join my colleague, Mr. Rangel in thanking you for giving the junior members of this committee the glorious opportunity of sharing the pain of this inquiry. Mr. Chairman, you are a strong man, and it has not been easy, but we have tried as best we can to give you uh, as much assistance as possible. Earlier today, we heard the beginning of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We, the people, a very eloquent beginning. But when that document was completed on the 17th of September in 1787, I was not included in that we the people. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation, and court decision, I have finally been included in we the people. Today, I am an inquisitor, and hyperbole would not be fictional and would not overstate the solemnness that I feel right now. My faith in the Constitution is whole, it is complete, it is total, and I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, the destruction of the Constitution.
Right on, sister. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the impeachment speech helped lead to Nixon's uh, res- res- resignation over the Watergate scandal and won Jordan National acclaim for the, her rhetoric, rhetoric, intellect, and integrity. Two years later, she was asked to deliver a keynote address at the 1976 Democratic National Convention, another first for an African-American woman. While in Congress, Jordan worked on le- legislation of uh, promoting women's rights, supported equal equal rights amendment to con- uh, uh, co-sponsor that a, a bill that will have a granted housewife social security benefits based on their domestic labor. <clears throat> Jordan retired in, in, in she retired from uh, uh, Congress in 1979 to become a professional. Professor at a, uh, a Lyndon Baines Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas, she became a uh, active uh, public speaker and advocate, amassing twenty-five honorary de- uh, 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 decorates. Her vehement op- uh, opposition helped uh, derail George Bush's nomination of Robert Book, who had opposed many civil rights cases to the U.S. Supreme Court. She, uh, she, uh, she who has suffered from multiple sclerosis since 1973 was wheelchair-bound by the, by, the, by the time she was invited to her second uh, Democratic convention, keynote uh, address in 1992. Until her death, she remained uh, private about her illness which finally included diabetes and cancer. And uh, in 1994, Bill Clinton awarded her Presidential Medal of Freedom, the country's highest uh, uh, civilian honor. She died of leukemia-related pneumonia on January 17, 1996. She broke barriers, even in death. She became the first African-American to be buried among the governors, senators, and congressmen in the in the state of Texas cemetery. And uh, you have wow. a clip for the eulogy. Uh, yes, I do. This is from Ann Richards, former Democratic governor of Texas. So I'll go ahead and roll that for you now. Okay, thank you, man. In, in a world that sways on the winds of trends and polls and prognostications. She was a constant, and she was as true as the North Star. Barbara Jordan was an American original uh, and a national treasure, and she was my friend. I know that at some point I'm supposed to say that despite all the public acclaim, that Barbara was really just like everybody else, but that would be wrong. No matter what else was going on, when you were with Barbara, you could never quite shake the feeling that you were in the presence of somebody that was truly great. Yes, and uh, that that uh, uh, that individual, that woman, that hero, that, that Shiro, you know, she she is a true patriot. You know, in my book. And I want to thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, Kim, if you're listening, to bring her to my attention. 
and you know, and you know all the all the stuff that my you know my elders and probably some of us still going through. We still love this country. This is my country. This is your country. This is our country. Let's make t- let's come together and make it a better country. I know we all don't agree, but we can't agree to disagree with love and respect, not hate and disrespect. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. That was absolutely beautiful. And I I just have to say, you know, I was able to introduce Barbara Jordan to Joey, thanks to Kim. Um, I'm ashamed to admit that I did not know anything about her before Kim introduced her to me when I was looking for people for our bumpers, uh, which if you're not familiar with the term are the little audio pieces that play whenever we get a break and come back. Um, so we have her in one of our bumpers and I've wanted to know a lot more about her for a long time. And when we discussed cutting up the speeches, uh, for this week's segment, which is something that I would like to continue to do if we can, I thought that was fun. Um, when I heard her during her opening remarks uh, concerning Richard Nixon's impeachment, and that was by no means the entirety of it. This is a, a fairly lengthy speech. I believe it's about 14 minutes in length. If you go to YouTube, it's really easy to find. Um, I suggest listening to it. She, I mean, she She's, truly she have a trans- strong voice. Oh, yeah. She has a strong voice. Very strong. And and she really transcends gender and race and class. And her oratory skills are just amazing. And I remember I pasted that little bit of audio that I took into our our show chat where we do our planning every week. And I Mm -hmm. said, you know, this is a woman who would make you cry and run home to your mama. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, she got that voice like, you know, you better get home before I tell your mama, you know, that type exactly. of voice. And, I beat, and my eyes get big and I run home. <laughs> That's the type of voice she has. She's got a real strong <laughs> voice, man. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Janet, of course, um, you uh, actually were familiar with, with Barbara Jordan. Yes. Yes. Um, because, well, I like strong women. And um, I also was interested in all kinds of politics. I have been for a long time. And so I also, I watched the Democratic debate or the conventions and did all that kind of stuff. And I remember listening to her and thinking, oh, man, that woman just rocks it out of the park and how cool she was. And I could see Ann Richards really likes her or liked her. Uh-huh. And um, I also got to talk to Ann Richard at one time um, on a phone call, you know, like they do where you're, they invite so many people that work for the Democratic Party and then, um, you know. So she talked about her on that call too. So um, I think it's, I, I was just I, so I, impressed with her. I think we need more fighters like her. If we, we had really more do. fighters like her, we we'd get some stuff done here in this country. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I I really hope that people do take up the cause and and that fighters like her come up again and and run for these seats and keep going and don't get discouraged. 
mm-hmm. uh, because we truly need people like that to enact positive change in this country in any number of areas. Um, I just wanted to mention something else that I thought was was kind of uh, kind of funny for me is being 29 years old um when <laughs> during her opening remarks she mentioned that her and uh congressman Rangel, who is uh of course the congressman from new york who is now it's not charlie, a junior charlie Rangel. yes yeah. charlie Rangel. <laughs> <laughs> she mentioned that they were both junior congress people uh so yeah that w- it's amazing that they came in together and you know he he's done a lot during his like career yeah, yeah i do too He's a really great guy. But yeah, that that kind of tickled my funny bone because he, he's been in Congress for so long that he was there for the Nixon impeachment. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, yeah, and Joe was saying, which is kind of cool, that uh, when with the organization and she kind of, Barbara... Jordan kind of was that too. I think that's kind of what I didn't finish what she had said because she did that after I got done talking. But when enough people get the message, the final snowflake breaks the branch. And so that's kind of what we need to be doing as far as organizing. So, absolutely. You know, and she, Barbara Jordan, was just right in your face with it. And she never quit. Never quit. She was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, Joey, you talked about it, that she suffered with all of those different health issues. And she never, she never publicized it. She kept fighting. She never complained. Yeah. All the strong people won't, you know, you know, she's from the old school, you know, and, and they, a whole lot of won't admit they, (laughs) <laughs> they're sick, but they they know they're sick, but they're still fighting. You know, they don't want to feel, you know, want anybody to feel sorry for them. Put it that way. You know, they're too strong for that. Yeah, it's really you know admirable. You know, I I have a few conditions, nothing quite as bad as um you know what what Barbara Jordan had to face. But yeah, uh, you know, there are times that I I feel I'll admit I feel bad for myself and I get down about it. But, um, you know, she, she's proof that no matter what you're going for through and no matter what your personal circumstances are, if you have that passion and that drive, you truly can make meaningful change happen. Yeah. You I'll really tell you one thing. She, she, she left her footprint in this country for years to come. And I want everyone, if y'all ain't never heard of Barbara Jordan, please read up on her. Learn about her. She will inspire you. <laughs> Like she inspired me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, hopefully we can get some of those links up to some of her speeches for you guys. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was phenomenal, Joey. Thank you Thank so you. much as always. Thank you you do a tremendous job. And I know that you get nervous, but uh, I have yes. to say <laughs> that tonight was 100% awesome. I give you an A plus for Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. Here. I'm trying. <laughs> no, you were doing a phenomenal job. And uh, all right. So we have that out of the way. We are going to head to a break here in just a moment. Um, but before we do that, 
uh, I would like to, uh, you know, say that we are going to be having on uh, Ms. Cohen here in a moment. We are very much looking forward to that. Uh, she, of course, is a liberal fighter. She is a true warrior, and it's going to be very fun to talk to her. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, so we're going to wish her a first night, uh, happy first night of Hanukkah, and get into the details on that. And uh, yeah, so that should be really fun. Um, so let's go ahead and head to a break. And when we get back, like I said, we will bring in Ms. Cohen. And on this break, we will, of course, have the Hightower Lowdown with a little bit of news about Ted Cruz. So don't change that dial. We'll be right back on Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. We have been the instrument of change in the past. We know what needs to be done. We know how to do it. We know that we can impact policies which affect education, human rights, civil rights, economic and social opportunity. Southern Progressive Revival at Indy Media Weekly Radio. Ted's bad enough, but wait till you hear about Daddy Cruz today on Hightower Radio. Ready or not, it's time to go cruising again. I realize that it can be frightening to travel through the dark, dangerous corridors of Ted Cruz's mind, making stomach-turning hard-right turns that suddenly appear without warning. Yet, we must, for this guy intends to be your president. But buckle up, for this trip not only takes us into Ted's mind, but also into the twisting mental curves of his hero, role model, mentor, top advisor, and surrogate campaigner, Rafael Cruz, also known as Daddy. Ted is campaigning as a truth-teller and an honest fighter for freedom, regularly using his father's life story as a guidepost to his own integrity. The candidate tells and retells the story that his father first told him as a boy about how Daddy Cruz had been a courageous rebel leader in Fidel Castro's Cuban Revolution in the 1950s. Rafael says he ran guns, threw Molotov cocktails, and even survived arrest and torture in the struggle to bring down the right-wing dictatorship of Fulgencio Batista. It's a riveting bit of history that thrills Senator Cruz's audiences and gives emotional power to his political ambition. Indeed, Rafael's Cuban heroics are so inspiring that son Ted features them in his recent campaign book, pointedly titled, A Time for Truth. But look out, here's where the high moral road of Rafael's story suddenly washes out, sending his and Ted's integrity spinning off into a deep political ravine. It turns out that practically none of the tales about the father's machismo actions in Cuba actually happened. This is Jim Hightower saying, only a handful of real freedom fighters of that time remember Raphael at all, and none of them recall him doing anything more than strutting around and talking big. In fact, he was known as an ojalatero, one who wished the dictator would fall, but was too squeamish to act on it. What do the corporate powers from Wall Street to Walmart have in common? They hate the Hightower Lowdown. You can see why at www.hightowerlowdown.org. Are you ready for the fastest hour in radio? Listen every Thursday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern to Paul's Memory Bank exclusively on Indie Media Weekly. DJ Paul will serve up a mix of classic rock, pop, and novelty music all tied together with a weekly theme. Be sure to sign up in the Paul's Memory Bank chat. Simply go to IndieMediaWeekly.com, select the Live tab, and scroll down to Paul's Memory Bank. 
Hall's Memory Bank, live every Thursday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern, only on Indie Media Weekly. Don't miss Musical Mayhem with Lauren Mayer. Topical comedy songs and commentary from your friendly local humorist, songwriter, and opinionated Jewish mother. You can catch the show right here on Indie Media Weekly on Mondays and Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m., Thursdays at 8 p.m., right after the Tim Cormall Show. You can catch my weekly comedy videos on my YouTube channel, Psycho Supermom, and order CDs through most major retailers as well as my website, laurenmayer.com. So join us for Musical Mayhem, where music, politics, and comedy intersect. So new? Come walk with me, Michael Ash Sharball, through the broken doorway. 11 a.m. Saturdays and Wednesdays, and only on IndieMediaWeekly.com. Hi, this is Kenny Pick from Turn Up the Night, and you're listening to Indie Media Weekly. Bookmark IndieMediaWeekly.com and be sure to check out our schedule of fine live programming as well as podcasts and music shows. And please make Indie Media Weekly one of your favorites on TuneIn. Indie Media Weekly, for those who dare. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. And knowing the world as I do, I can tell you without any equivocation that the number one abuse of human rights on earth is strangely not addressed quite often is the abuse of women and girls. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to Hour 2 of Southern Progressive Revival. If you're just joining us, I would like to welcome you to the program, and if you're still listening, welcome back. Uh, Joining me, as always, are Mr. Joey Word from Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome back, sir. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. Yes, and it's good to have you. Of course, Joey, if you have been listening, is fresh off of a third triumphant Voices of Our Black Past, Present, and Future. So thank you very much for that, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Not a problem. And (laughs) last but not least, and we will go ahead and introduce her with her jingle, since I have neglected that the past two shows, uh, Ms. Janet Lee from Lake of the Ozarks area, Missouri. So let's go ahead and play that jingle. Janet became a star, literally overnight. She had not gone looking for fame. Fame had found her. I know that I cannot put up with a whole weekend of your archaic views. You don't want to make me mad now, do you? It is never too late to run away. Janet Lee on Southern Progressive Revival. Well, I am a modern woman. I'm more afraid of her than I am of you. That's right, it's never too late to run away, but you are listening live to Janet Lee. Welcome back, ma'am. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I, I know I've been promising it for a long time, but I promise that we will eventually get Joey's jingle. It is an epic, epic jingle being composed by an amazing <laughs> person. So, it will be well worth the wait. <laughs> Wait, I know it's going to be badass. Yes, it is. You have a name that lends itself to badassery. So, <laughs> thanks, man. Anytime. I All got right. a hell of a name, though, man. Yes, you name. do. It's a beautiful My name. Father's last name. You know? 
Yes, awesome name. All right, so we are going to go ahead and get to uh, Damn Yankee. So let's go ahead and get Sue Cohen on the call, uh, and we'll go ahead and roll that jingle while we do that. So let's go for it. Where do you come from? Damn Yankee. Of course, I'm just visiting here. Why don't you just tell me your side of the story? Your <laughs> Yankee friend is waiting for you in the bar. All right, we hello. are. Hello, Miss Cohen. How are you doing this evening? Yes, call me Sue. <laughs> oh, hello, Sue. <laughs> Hi there. Hello, Wes. Hello, Janet. Hello, Joey. Hi, Sue. Hey, Sue. H- happy Hanukkah. Thank you very much. I wait. I, I'm trying to make sure I'm not getting any interference on anything else. Are we good? Yeah, I think the show is still playing for you in the background. Yeah. So you're hearing, yeah, so you're hearing, I, I guess uh, there's a little reverb here. Yeah, just a little bit. There's a slight delay between the station and the actual broadcasting. So thank you. Yes, indeed. All right. So Sue, once again, thank you so much for being on the program on this very, okay, I want to yeah, make sure on this, that I'm doing the right background. thing here. Hold on one sec. I want to just make sure. So you're hearing. Okay. Yeah, so Take your time. I think I got it. Are we good now? I believe that we are. I do not hear here anything. I, I'm a little tired. I have kicked the ass of five pounds of potatoes oh gosh (laughs) happy hanukkah too by the way i'm sorry happy hanukkah by the way thank you we had the clan here and a couple of extras and we we have it's hilarious but basically the only way to really eat latkes and let me just say before we talk any politics Latkes are not made with sweet potatoes. Latkes are not made with vegetables. They're potatoes. Only (laughs) potatoes, oil, seasonings, and how you choose to bind it together. Anything else is something I don't know, but it's a vegetable pancake of a different nation. It it is not a latke. So just (laughs) I'm the purest when it comes to this stuff. (laughs) There you go. Made over five pounds of latkes tonight, and now oh my lord! I am envious. The house smell like cooking oil for now. The next for all eight nights. (laughs) Uh, My granddaughter is she. I got a picture of her for the Hanukkah that she's aware of. You know, because she's just two. So she was standing there by the menorah and pointing at it. She's so excited. <laughs> we do one very fun thing. Our son is in our young, uh, our, my daughters live in this area, but my son is in New York. And so he always calls in and then we all do. We light the first candle on the first night as a family. If we're not all together, wherever we are, we pull ourselves together. And we light, we, we, we light the candle, say the blessings, and then we sing very silly songs, and then we just all hang up on each other. So it's... <laughs> it's that is cool. <laughs> that is awesome. I like that. And my son, I found a picture of a menorah that has eight kinds of whiskey. Are you kidding me? And I, I'll send it to you on Facebook. And that, I, I, my son is a connoisseur of fine whiskeys. And I said, if I could give you this now, he said... Just send that and you won't, and everything else will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I found one of a, did you see the one of Zebra that I posted? There's you, a menorah. Yes, yes, that's, that's hilarious. I thought that was so cool. It, it, yeah. Listen, you, you guys who are not Jewish have to understand, we have to amp this up any way we can, all right? <laughs> well, and like my daughter says, 
no matter what time of the year she finds anything that has is related to a Jewish holiday or whatever, she buys it because she's like, normally there's always been just a teeny little in in thing, you know, like in Target or whatever. Yeah. The, at the end of the aisle, they'll have two or three things, and she said, now it's getting bigger and bigger. The selection, are you finding that? No. Um, basically, when I go into a store and I need stuff, I say, where's the shelf with the Hanukkah stuff? <laughs> There's one shelf. Aww. And that's where they'll, they'll point me to the one shelf. And everything is shoved on one shelf. So you have you have Mensch on a bench and Elf on a shelf. But they don't tell you that all the Hanukkah gear, wherever you go, is on one shelf. <laughs> yeah. Well, it used to be just a little in thing. Because I always look for, I want to get, you know, Hanukkah wrapping paper and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll send you some. So, I did a Christmas, yeah, I, I, I did some, you know, I'm doing Christmas tree for my granddaughter because my son-in-law, bless his heart, and of course my daughter um, converted and my my granddaughter goes to Temple every Sunday, she loves it, and is, you know, Sunday school and stuff, but they want her to have both sides, the Swedish side and the Jewish, so um, I'm doing a Christmas tree, but she thinks it's just a hoop both places. Oh, we have a great time. My, son, my second daughter's married to a, a young man whose father's family is from Finland. So we have the Finnish stuff as well. And so we just, we always celebrated everything, though. We grew up in New York City, and my mother's best friend was an Italian Catholic, and she had only one child. We all celebrated everything. Um, and, and I had an eighth grade teacher who was a flamboyantly gay man named Otto Schmidt, who was my homeroom <laughs> and my social studies teacher at a time only in New York City, I think, could he have survived. And he being was, open, yeah. Yeah, he, he, whether he was or not, he was open. Believe, you could not look at him and not know. And we <laughs> loved him. He was hilarious. You know, he had that caustic, great caustic wit. And he would just say, listen, guys, I want you to celebrate every holiday. You honor every religion. Stay home. I don't want to work. Um, and just don't come to school. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the cool thing about this is, I mean, we're talking about this now, but we have had... Uh, talks about religion almost every Sunday, you know, different kinds. And so um, Jonathan was really excited that we were going to talk about this just a little bit, you know, because it is interesting. I think it's interesting. And I'm not, I was raised as a Swede, so we have our loot fisk and different fish and all that kind of stuff. So I'm trying really hard to be a supportive Jewish mother-in-law or mother-in-law. If you need any tips, listen, Janet, didn't you see that great uh, mug, the recipe for Lutefisk? Yes, I love that. (laughs) Tell them. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. I looked at that and I went, no. Our friend Dave in Minneapolis, it's just perfect. Yes. Yes, Dave, I, yes, he's supposed to come on, too. So, oh, so good. Number one, buy loot fist. Number two, throw it out. Wow. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> this would be better. Oh, my gosh. So we can do this one. Do you want to talk? So, um, Joey, the segment on Barbara Jordan, I only caught the end of it, but she was amazing. Since I'm yeah. the old person here, believe me, she, I miss her. Like I miss Ann Richards, the women yeah. who were unapologetic, and I think yeah, that's that's why I say we need more more her, more people like her. 
You know, if we yeah. had more people like her, you know, we'd get some stuff done in this country. Well, the the big difference, honestly, and and Janet, you know this, so and I'm not going to rail all night about it in my seg- in my lovely time. I you guys are so gracious to give me, but this is the media. The big difference, I would wait. I would absolutely tell you is that when when Ms. Jordan and when the the feminist movement and press in the 70s, even in the early part of the Reagan administration, even through the mid 80s, and I was not that political. I was always aware. But, you know, when you're, and Janet, you can back me up. When you're busy raising your children and you're working and you're doing, you have so many, so many balls in the air that to also then do this uh, becomes really difficult. Yes. And, you know, but we had a press you know, we had Walter Cronkite, we had David Brinkley, we had Peter Jennings, we had people of un, unimpeachable integrity, and the news divisions were not supposed to make profit. They were the lost leaders. Yes. And so news people had bureaus. Now it's all pablum. You've got one person reporting and then gets picked up, and that's why it's such crap, and it's infotainment, and, and it's just been so depressingly and then of course the issue of the fact that you've got you know 90 percent of media owned by six corporations right um, you know and actually that's kind of what we're going to be talking about too and that's true and it's it's just opinion it's constant opinion they don't even do their work uh um, no. and they're just there to spill out whatever it is that boss says. And you can tell it's all owned by the same media because they all have the same talking points. Precisely. I That's why I stopped watching television completely. Joey, I'm with you. I don't watch any. Cor- I turned off the corporate news back in about 2004. My, I canceled my, I live in the D.C. area. We canceled our post subscription. Um, we were just like, this is a joke. You're flacking for war. You're sending people to die, and you know it's a lie. You know it's yes. a lie, and you're scared. After 9-11, within a year or so, year and a half, everyone became so intimidated. And you, the 29-year-old, hush up, because you're too young to know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know how pressed it is when you tell me you're 29 and my youngest child's 34? Do you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I'm giving a hard time. Listen, it's usually the reverse, you know. You're being respectful. I don't have to be respectful. <laughs> My youngest is 30. Uh, <laughs> not 30. Huh? Wes is not even 30? No, my youngest is 30. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so mine, I'm in the same range as you. My oldest is 35. Oh, I, I don't want to tell you. Let me just say, I'm not going to tell you how old my oldest is, but next weekend <laughs> we celebrate my middle child's 40th birthday. Oh, wow. Now, again, I was 12 when I had my first child, so it, right. it, I yeah. am. I was 27 when I had my first, so you can add. Well, I was uh. <laughs> I was 21. <laughs> when, I, when, when my oldest walked into high school as, as a 10th grader, because back in then – um, they did they did junior high, so she went seven, eight, nine, and then hit high school in tenth grade. So when she walked into tenth grade at a fourteen year old, I was thirty five, and I walked in there and I thought, I remember this, I remember this way too clearly, and it was terrifying. You're older. I felt like I had somebody. I went in there, and these guys were so young, and I go in there with my kids, and they're looking at me, wanting to know 
are you the grandma or the mom? I mean, that's what you feel like. Because I was a lot older, at least 10 years older than a lot of the other mothers. Well, my girls have both of that, some of that experience. My, But um, now that our grandson is 12, that's hilarious because, and my his sister is eight. And when I go pick her up on Tuesdays from piano, her teacher, it took him six visits. The first five times he'd say, oh, hi, you're Molly's mom. And I'd go, no. I, and then he, and now finally he looks at me and he goes, hi, you're Molly's grandmom. And I said, you got it. Now this guy, of course, looks like my grandpa. That's how old he is. So it's an honest <laughs> error on his part. You know, he, I'm lucky <laughs> her name, much less who I am. <laughs> Boy, if. If it makes you feel any better, I have a son who just turned nine months old today. He's my first and only. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be going through all the stages of life much uh, later than all the other parents as well. No, that's still young. Men are young. Listen, my son isn't married yet. He's, as I said, my daughter made me a young grandma, and he's going to make me a very old grand grandparent. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all guys, I don't have any youngins. <laughs> and that is a great parent. <laughs> I have three biological kids and one that ha- tells me that I'm his second mama. So he treats me like a mama. Oh, we have we back up each other. We're all backup parents. You know, yeah. you have to have that. It's the village. It it truly is. It is. It is. And uh he just loves me to death and he calls his calls my son brother from another mother and the mm-hmm. girl's sister um let's see. Miss sisters from a different mister. Now <laughs> like yeah, there are people. It's just it. It the bit. The more you know, the, I always try to help. You know, I was a parenting uh, for those for the fellas who don't know. Janet knows this. Um, my background's really early childhood, so I spent the first thirty plus years of my life working in preschools, and I worked my way up from being a teacher and being a camp director to being an assistant director. And then the last ten years of that career, I was running a very large preschool here in Bethesda, Maryland. We had two hundred and seventy-five youngins running around. Oh wow! And we, we had a staff of forty plus. And I- whoops! 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 I always used to say to them, if the kids ever figured out how well they outnumbered us, they could take over. But luckily, they never <laughs> quite figured that out. <laughs> That's but, a good thing. <laughs> those are my thing. Kids, I, um, I'm a child development specialist. I'm a parent coach. And then I started my own company, Parent Coaching. So if you have any questions as your little one gets bigger, you know, and, and the truth is, Joey, I always said to people, some of the very best parents I've known are the p- people who chose not to have children. Or just didn't because, the, you know, it's the oldest line from parenthood. And can't remember, cursing is allowed on this show? Yes, it is. Yes. And thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the line that Keanu Reeves says in parenthood, quite honestly, could not be more true, which is, you know, you need a license to hunt and fish, but any old asshole can become a father. Yeah. And it's a sad truth. And I did my best for a very long time, for decades, to try to create healthy children and I'm still working on it, but uh, there are a lot of people who just should not have kids. Yeah. And yeah. I got to tell you, I'm, I was telling them today, I was a little sad because my granddaughter is going to start preschool tomorrow huh? at a, yes, at a Montessori. Oh, yeah. So, oh, sorry. I didn't say that out loud. That slipped out of my thought bubble. Sorry. What? I'm you not don't like Montessori. Montessori? Yeah, she's starting tomorrow. 
But it depends on how it's interpreted. Well, fellas, I, I feel the sound of quiet because I believe the men have checked out of this discussion. <laughs> okay. No, no, not at all. Um, I'm actually uh, really grateful for what you said because, uh, you know, my, my dad left before I was born. Um, so ever since I was a very little boy, I've wanted to be a father. So I was very excited when my wife uh, got pregnant and, uh, he's a wonderful boy and I have a ton of questions. So I'm definitely going to take you up on your offer. <laughs> and I am dead serious because what I can only tell you that in the, the 10 years I was running my company, Parent Works, um, I had contracts with a lot of the federal programs, which is a hilarious story in and of itself. But one of the things I did is NIH, I was very popular at the National Institute of Health, which, as you know, is, is basically a city unto, its unto itself. And there are just tens of thousands of employees, hundreds of buildings. And once a month, they would bring me in and they would install me in one of the cafeterias in one of the buildings and they would they had a big Lucy sign that said the child de development specialist, the parenting specialist is in. And they would stick me in a chair with a table <laughs> and people would sign up for 10 minute segments. And for two oh, hours, wow. I sat there. I always made sure I went to the bathroom because I didn't even get a I could not get a potty break of my own. And, and I would always go late and stuff. But people have they don't have a lot of questions. They don't want to sit always for even a full hour seminar, a brown bag lunch. They have a question. It's immediate. It's something's happening in the family and they just need a little guidance. And so that was one thing I used to go once a month. I mean, it was hysterical. I never knew what building I was going to be in or who I was going to be meeting. And we ran the gamut. I mean, if you're interested, I'll tell you two funny stories, but it, you know, I don't know what, what our time frame is. No, that would be great. Well, no, the, the two ends of the spectrum that I always tell as an example is I had this lovely young couple sit down and I said, tell me how I can help you. And I have to set a timer for 10 minutes because literally someone who was helping me, she would literally make them leave after that. <laughs> so people weren't waiting. And they said, well, we've been married two years and we'd just like to know if you think we're ready to have children. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I really cannot answer that. I said, I can ask you questions to ask yourselves, but that is way beyond my purview. You know? <laughs> it's not appropriate for me to be the one to tell you. And so we chit chatted and stuff, but I, I, that was memorable to me because I was like too much responsibility. No, no, no. I'm here just to help a little. <laughs> and, on the, on the other hand, I had this older Russian man who was an emigre. You know, we have, a tr you know, NIH has tremendous research people coming in from all over the world. And he said, he sits down and he says, I want to know if I can have, still have curfew with my sons. And I said, well, how old are they? He said, well, they're 19 and 22. And I said, have oh my they God. at school? <laughs> right. He said, are they, are they away at school? He said, yes, they're in college. And I said, yes, yeah, so no, you can't have any. No. <laughs> no. Once they go to college, there's no curfew. <laughs> but next. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, what I ended up saying to him is they can be responsible. They can say to you, you have a right to say to them, can you give me a ballpark when you're going to come home or let me know if you're not coming home. But beyond that, no, they're, they're adults. you you got to let go. <laughs> jeez, jeez. Oh, gosh. Oh. That's amazing. <laughs> it was fun. It was always interesting, I have to tell you. <laughs> I'm sure. And you, you know, the, the thing that's killing me right now, um, I, I probably shouldn't be spending this time talking about this, but uh, 
you have one of those personalities. So, um, <laughs> um, you know, the the internet in a lot of ways is a wonderful thing because it gives you an ex- it gives you access to a lot of information. But there's so much conflicting information when it comes to when your child should be reaching certain developmental milestones. Mm-hmm. And then you sit back and you wonder, well, am, am I a bad parent? Did I do something wrong? And you go to one page and, you know, it, it says, you know, he's reached all of his milestones. He's good. And then you go to another page and it's like, well, at this point he should be pointing. He should understand the word no. And he doesn't do either of those things. So I'm like, well, which which source do you trust? Do you know, is is that reflecting badly on you as a parent is that something that i should be working on with him or you know if there if there's one no you can't no <laughs> relax this is the, that my first answer is don't worry about it there's too much information and a lot of it is bad information oh, okay. um, and and the and the bell curve in the normal is enormous i mean it's and, and janet you can chime in because this is just if you've had kids more than one you know this i mean i have seen children mm-hmm. across the spectrum um, the thing that you want to do is if you've never read the work of T, Dr. T. Barry Brazelton, and, and you and I can be in touch after the show, Dr. Brazelton is, I think, 96 now. He might be a little older. He was my mentor, and he is a godsend. He, was a, he is a, was a practicing pediatrician well into the – maybe he's still going in once a week – Fabulous with children, fabulous with families and parents, and just has the most gentle, positive look at the way he looks at kids and the way they grow. And his books, his books on infants and toddlers and touch points are just the go-to guides. They give you feeling, they make you feel warm. Um, there's tons of landmark things, but you know what, when you take him to the pediatrician, it, it, you'll see, I mean, I, I, you know, whether he has object permanence yet or not, or whether or not he turns around and responds to his name, which of course he does at this point, it, you look for the affect, you look for his eye contact and you look for his ability to explore and very slowly, uh, begin to want to destroy everything that's in his way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's already reached yeah. that milestone. <laughs> I, I really we studied. We studied yeah. When I was getting my teaching degree, um, we studied him in special ed, you know. I got to meet him a few times. He was great. I got to meet Stanley Greenspan, who taught me child therapy, floor time. Uh, just, I, I've been really lucky with wow. some, of the, some of the people I've had to influence me. And in fact, I'll tell you one quick Brazelton story. Back in the early 80s, he came to testify when they were trying, when we finally got past the Family Leave Act. And he came in to testify to, to why we should have family and medical leave. And one of the snotty members of Congress said to him, and he did a workshop that night. So he had come fresh from Capitol Hill to our to our workshop. And he said it was so interesting. He said, one, and he has this very gentle demeanor, very low voice, and he, very gentle. And he said, you know, one of the congressmen asked me, well, isn't it the mother and father's problem if they choose to have a child? And he just looked at me and said, sir, this is our future. Those yeah. children are America. It's our problem. It's our joy. If we don't nurture children, if we don't nurture families, what kind of country do we become? And everyone in our workshop jumped to their feet, screaming, cheering, crying. You know, just, we're, you know, we're very emotional early childhood people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. It was just beautiful. It was just this beautiful. And th- we're still having this same discussion. Right. Look at our country. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, and you know, since you you brought that up, I'm I'm curious because um, you know, everybody here on the show, uh, we we're sort of split into camps. Um, uh, I, I'm a Bernie supporter. Joey's a Bernie supporter. Uh, Janet is, of course, a Hillary supporter. Um, but I know that one of the things that's been brought up in the race is uh, the need for paid leave once a child is born, uh, which is something that we lack. Um, you know, looking at other Western countries and, and other countries with sort of the quality and standards of living that we have. Um, as an early childhood educator, I mean, when I look at the issue, I, I look at it as a moral issue. And I, I think that mothers and fathers should be able to stay home with their child and be able to bond with them. But is is there a reason for that from your field? Well, not only do I, of course, agree, and I will tell you, I'm a Democrat. I support all Democrats. I have I have Chris Van Hollen and Donna Edwards, two absolutely stellar Democrats running for uh, Barbara McCulsey's seat. Either one of them would be a credit. I support both of them. I support. I love Bernie. I love Hillary. I will not tolerate, and Janet, you know this, I will not tolerate the split. I will not tolerate any Democrat who tells me they'll either vote only for Bernie or only for Hillary and not support the other. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, before I answer your question, my question that I tweet out probably at least three times a week is, what will you do when your candidate, if your candidate does not get the nomination, then endorses the nominee and stumps for them? Are you going to pull a Cartman and just take your ball and go home? Right. This is the Supreme Court. This is bigger than any one candidate. Mm-hmm. If, if the GOP, two days after San Bernardino, can vote to let terrorists buy guns, there's one answer to making things better, and it's getting rid of the GOP. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but from a research point of view, actually, the fact is you're completely right. Pay leave, the need to bond. Studies have shown that especially mothers, uh, you know, because mothers have been studied more in this, especially in that first year of life than, than fathers have, that mothers, the language they use in the way they talk about their infants changes and is different than when they know they have to leave and go back to work. They almost create, not that they're not wonderful mothers, not that they don't emotionally bond properly, none of that. I'm not saying that, but there's a language that they kind of use that's almost a self-protective language because they're being forced to do something they don't want to do. Um, and, And there are studies that show that, and there's just no reason for it. There's no reason that a mother has to make those hard decisions. We should be support. Just like Dr. Briselton said back in the, in the early eighties, this is our, this is the, our future. If we don't nurture and nourish families and from the research I spent a lot of time doing, I'm a real proponent of basic trust. And when you look at to me, the basic trust is the cornerstone. It's like putting in that establishment. You cannot build a solid foundation of a healthy body and mind if you don't have basic trust. And when you don't have it, no matter what you do later on, the problems, it's really hard when that pattern becomes the pattern of people around you. And that's why as a parent coach, consistency, parents would say, well, and I'd say, I can tell you how to drive a child crazy. Okay, it's very simple. Laugh at a behavior one day and smack them the next day for the same behavior. Be inconsistent. Be vague. Your child will be freaking nuts and a behavior problem by the time they're three years old. Yeah. 
So anyway, I could do this for hours because this is what I've spent 30 years doing. So let me leave it. <laughs> but I'm happy to answer and talk to anyone. And I always tease Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Miller, and tell her I need to come come on and do the official parenting specialist of the Stephanie Miller Show segment. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I love bringing you on there. <laughs> thank you, thank you for letting me say those things. It's <laughs> no, no, thank you. It it really is an, an honor. You you answered my question. You gave us an additional reason to support uh, paid leave when when children are born, especially for mothers. Uh, so yeah, this is this is really an honor. I really appreciate it. Oh, my, my pleasure. Now, can I tell you how awful Ted Cruz is before I, ha- I have to go? Please. <laughs> <laughs> because you guys alluded to two pieces I would like to get out. First of all, Ted Cruz's parents' history is a lot murkier. I've been doing research, and I have this nice college boy who's been doing research, and we kind of hit a wall because at this point we'd have to pay money to try to get resources. But it's very interesting. Both of his parents were married. When they ran away to Canada, they were both in the process of getting divorced. The father had two daughters, one of whom died of a drug overdose and one who's a physician in Texas. And she chooses not to really be involved at all, which is interesting. And then he and the the mother, Eleanor and Ted Sr. went to Canada and Ted was born on the 22nd of December, 1970, but his birth wasn't registered. Uh, wasn't the certificate wasn't issued till December 31st. And I cannot find the dates of their divorces, nor the date that they were actually married. Ah, and that I is did, interesting. Ted's Canadian birthday, he was born in Calgary. And uh, again, I used as many online sites and this guy, Michael was doing the same thing. And then we kind of hit this wall. I found that I'm in mean, the mother. So on the, I think there's a whole lot of questions, not just about his citizenship, but did the mother register as an American living in Canada? When were they divorced? I can find, I can find the marriage certificate, her first husband, Alan Wilson, but I cannot find the marriage certificate of her to, to Teddy, to Ted senior. And then when, Young Ted was three. Old Ted deserted the family and went back to Texas. He left them in Canada. And people don't wow. know that. And he came home and he hoored around for a while. And then, oh, Lordy, Lordy, he found God. He, he, found <laughs> Jesus, he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And then he went back and got them and brought them home. And, and then it has been a grifter the rest of his life. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. So there's is... a lot more out there that people, and, and again, is the press doing their job? No. Have I mm-hmm. sent all of the investigative journalists like Matt, Matt Taibbi this information? Oh, hell yes, I have. Have they done a goddamn thing with it? Oh, no, they haven't. Mm. So I just think those are very valid questions that any candidate should be asked. Absolutely. That's, wow. I, I actually, I hadn't heard, well, of course no, I haven't heard any of that. Be- Nobody reports it. Right. You, you yeah. have to start digging. The other part, though, on the fun side is if you saw The Daily Show, what Trevor Noah did. Did you guys see that? I saw um, part of it. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Well, so Cruz's people released 13 hours of raw vid- video of that they used to make these videos of, uh, you know, extolling Cruz and his family. But they put everything up there. All 13, they must hate him so much that they threw all 13 hours. So now he, the challenge he threw down was go take the video and make your own little commercials. 
And the first, <laughs> and the, oh my God. So the first one up was Samantha B from the, who had been on the show. She has a, her Twitter is called full frontal. And she's, she has put up about 20 different ones already that last anywhere from five to 20 seconds. And they're hilarious. They're just, they're just funny. She, she's dubbing herself into talking to, about them. You're seeing the footage. It's very, very funny. And he deserves every second of it. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is too funny. Oh, gosh. So go to her Twitter, Full Frontal Samantha B. Sam B, I think. It's Full Frontal Sam B. Yep, I love, 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 love Samantha B. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'll definitely have to check that out. But she, oh gosh, she's hilarious. And yeah, anything that Ted Cruz gets at this point, he completely deserves. So <laughs> I just hope that he quits rising in the polls. That is my sincere hope. <laughs> <sighs> well, I, I think that's funny. Huh? I think Cruz is going to be the nominee. Really? That's what I've been hearing, too. Hmm. I think Trump is going to crash and burn on this. I think it's just going to get, he's just crazier and crazier. And these rallies all of a sudden are being disrupted. Carson's done. Oh, yeah. He's dropping like a rock. Yeah. So that even though he called um, Hamas hummus. Yes, that was hilarious. Cougar <laughs> said he was offended when Ted shot a panda. <laughs> well, you know what I said? I, I said that it was really, you know, you can't blame him for that because he, he wanted to, he was setting, he said he would put drone strikes, he would send drone strikes to uh, Baba Ganoush and then invade Tahini. <laughs> no? Oh my gosh. No? <laughs> yes? Yes, yes. <laughs> He put baklava on his head and he ran away. (laughs) 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 I worked this. I I was working it. I'm trying to figure out my my homeless connections. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's awesome. Oh, I I hate. I, I really genuinely hate to say this, but unfortunately, we have run over on our segment. But... Uh, Sue, I would absolutely love to have you on the program again in the future. She's got to come back again. Yeah. I'd be delighted to. Your that guys are awesome. so nice to me. Thank you. Joey, I'm sorry you truly didn't get a word in. Oh, well, I'm, I'm listening. I'm, you know, I like to listen. I like to listen. <laughs> but I got one word for you, though. I am. As long as you don't say chutzpah, you're doing fine. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Good night. Yes. Good night. Thank yeah. you, guys. Good night. Thank you so much again. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. That was absolutely wonderful. We are going to go ahead and head to a really short break. Uh, we will just play one song for you and get right back. So uh, stay tuned here on Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. One of the issues I don't think we hear enough about and really can't hear enough about is preparing our students and our people, particularly those who have lost jobs, for the jobs of the future. We need to make sure that our education systems are in place. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. Somebody asked me the other day, 
They was like, who is the Koch brothers? How come you don't like them? Well, uh. Some people get erections while buying up elections. There be no protection to guarantee your selection. They made an investment, so voters they suppressing. Plus a million commercials confusing the message. People say, what is this? But politics is business. Poor and middle class are on the bottom of the shit list. Rich get a wish list. Poor don't get no Christmas. Middle class is dismissed. I guess you must have missed this. Guess you must have tuned out. Now it's time to tune in. If you don't pay attention, won't know what they be doing. How much shit they ruin. Riches they pursuing, they think it's a shoe-in, but who they think they fooling? We can see you drooling, greedy like no other, no longer undercover. Here come the Coke brothers, everybody watch out, our time is about to clock out. They won't go the distance, cause they looking for the knockout. Freedom ain't never been free, freedom ain't never been free. Where's democracy? Freedom ain't never been free, freedom ain't never been free. Hypocrisy, freedom ain't never been free. Freedom ain't never been free. Democracy. Freedom ain't never been free. Freedom ain't never been free. It's R.I.P. As a result of the disastrous Citizens United Supreme Court decision, billionaires and large corporations can now spend an unlimited amount of money to influence the political process. The results of that decision are clear. In the coming months and years, the Koch brothers and other extraordinarily wealthy families will spend billions of dollars to elect right-wing candidates to the Senate, the House, governor's mansions, and the presidency of the United States. These billionaires already own much of our economy. That apparently is not enough. Now they want to own the United States government as well. And that's in the words of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. Too busy giving tax handouts to large corporations, the Republicans haven't been working for the middle class. And as a result, many families are still struggling to make ends meet. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to Southern Progressive Revival. I am your host, Jonathan Matthews, and joining me right now is a very special guest, Mr. Liam Matthews, who was crying for Daddy during the break. So, he is here for uh, as long as he behaves. But uh, anyway, I would like to welcome back to the program our very own Ms. Producer, Miss Janet Lee from Lake of the Ozarks area, Missouri. Welcome back, ma'am. Well, hi, everybody, and hi, Liam. Janet says hi. Can you say hey? You don't want to say hey? He's he is cutting two teeth at once, so he is not a very happy camper right now. But uh, <laughs> also welcoming back to the program, Mr. Joey Word from Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome back, sir. Hello, hey, little man. Yeah, Joey said, I "Hey, can hear him breathing." Isn't that cool? <laughs> there you go. Yep, <laughs> yep. He's he is a breather. He's unfortunately got a snotty nose, so but that's okay. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully he does not hit my mute button. He keeps trying to do that. Uh, but yes, we are back. Uh, if you were just joining us, welcome to the program. If you have been sticking around, welcome back. We just had a phenomenal interview with Ms. Sue Cohen, uh, and it did not go in the direction that I quite expected, but it was very illuminating. It was exciting. I learned a whole lot as a parent that I can use for Mr. Liam, our special guest here, and uh, I'm sure that I will learn a whole lot more in the future. But, yeah. yeah. 
But uh, I wanted to uh, get to the audio that we were wanting to play for Sue, um, which is something that we hadn't planned to do as a separate thing, but um, I thought that it was important to play tonight. So we are going to go ahead and play that real quick. Uh, now, Unless this was something... Oh, you think oh, we should okay. save it for Wes? Yeah. Okay, well, we will save it for Wes then. And uh, since we will be saving that for Wes, we will go ahead and get right to Gander at the Soapbox. So let's go ahead and get that jingle a rolling. Gander at the Soapbox. Gosh darn it, who diddly I'm conservative. What do you have a higher opinion of, Congress or dog poop? I think the, I think the report's full of crap. My goodness, I didn't know solid waste management was so controversial. We'll have more of everything. We were discussing disease. We were discussing all sorts of things tonight. You know, I apologize. We left the helicopter at home. You know, I, I don't have to defend everything that I've ever done. Isn't that the Tea Party in a nutshell? Republican on Republican violence. There isn't a Republican Party. I humbly ask for your vote whenever you're going to get to vote, whenever the primary is. So in love All right, and we are here for Gander at the Soapbox, where we look at the politicians here, politicians visiting, and campaigns going on in the South. Uh, so we have some uh, interesting news from Missouri, some actually pretty exciting news, and Janet, being our resident Missourian, will be bringing that to us. So, Janet, take it away. Mediate covered a story about a Democratic uh, state representative that is rocking it with a bill that's going to make it as hard to get a gun in Missouri as it is to get an abortion. Because she says gun owners should meet meet with licensed physicians to discuss the risks of gun ownership, should have to show photos and video of fatal firearm injuries, buy the gun from a licensed gun dealer located at least 120 miles from the purchase's legal residence. Kind of like you were talking about the Onion article, 300 miles. Yep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, though, that I think the one in St. Louis is the only one that's open anymore. There might be a couple other ones, but... um, Tour an emergency trauma center at the nearest qualified urban hospital on a weekend between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., when gun violence victims are present, and get written verification from a doctor. Meet with at least two families who've been victims of gun violence and with two local faith leaders who've officiated within the last year a funeral for a victim of gun violence who is under the age of 18. Representative Newman says she knows this has very little chance passing the majority Republican legislator, but says all life matters. So we need to show it. Love your trolling, lady. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's the truth. I'm so sick of these. Yeah. It is. Good for her. Good for her. And even though she's written a bill that she knows isn't going to pass, we've got to start fighting back. You know? And saying, do you realize how stupid this is? You know, you're going to get a gun to kill people, but yet uh, Planned Parenthood, who offers all these services, you're going to try to shut down? Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense. And you know, it's it's like it's it's been said before, if men could have babies, this would not be an issue at all. 
No. You know? So you you would be able to pull up to, to any place, to, to a gas station. That's and right. 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They come out back. <laughs> yep, drive through abortions, exactly. Yes. Be out passing out condoms and I mean you can't even hardly get birth control anymore. This is just insane. It is. You know, it's... and it's not that we have an abortion problem. We like John Fugelson saying says it's the unwanted pregnancy. If you don't want the unwanted pregnancy issues or problems, <clears throat> make sure people can get birth control. Absolutely. And who the hell has the right to tell a woman what to do with her body? Nobody but a woman. What, what is that saying? Uh, they love the fetus, but they hate the child. Mm-hmm. And women, apparently. Because mm-hmm. women are going to start dying in record numbers. Again, either from cancer or from botched abortions or you name it. Yeah. yeah they don't give a care. shit. They don't. No. They don't give and a shit. And men, what about men? You know, <laughs> women go in, they get um, their tested for STDs or whatever, and men do too, actually. Mm-hmm. So, do you want a new partner to go in and get tested? If not, if you're wanting to shut them all down, then you may be getting something you didn't plan on either. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know it's kind of gross, but... Well, you know, it, 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 it in a way it is, but at the same time, it's true, and it's something that we should be thinking about. And, you know... You know, speaking about not having access to birth control, that's something that's always gotten me is that it to me, if I were a Republican, thankfully I'm not, it would make sense to me to want to provide to the public as much education and as much birth control and as many uh, contraceptive devices as I could uh, in order to promote my pro-life beliefs. It, It seems to me that somewhere along the line this disconnect happened. Because if if that truly is your goal, if you truly are pro-life, then you're going to want to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies. So why that happened, I do not know. I hope that at some point the right wing wakes up and uh, takes a common sense look at this. Uh, I will not be holding my breath, though. So. Well, and this is their way of making money and getting votes. I mean, because there's a lot of people, this is the only thing they vote on. And I don't know that they even really want to end mm-hmm. abortions everywhere. I think they want to make it really hard. Yeah. But um, I also think that they're trying to be selective. I don't know how you can be selective on, you know, who gets an abortion and who doesn't. But um, I don't know. I, I also think it's kind of a way... <laughs> Sorry, he had to contribute to the conversation. Um, <laughs> that was funny. But yes, as you can see, Liam feels very strongly about this issue. And um, <laughs> Oh, the joys of live radio and pyramid. Yes, <laughs> Liam. Everybody's cheering for you. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I I really, you know, and I had a pastor when I was growing up who was a single issue voter, and he would only vote for pro life candidates, and that never made any sense to me at all. When when there are so many other things that you need to be looking at, um, you know, the if truly, 
if if you're going to vote for a candidate just because they're pro-life and you don't look at where they stand on domestic policy and on foreign policy and on taxation and on so many issues that affect all of us, then what kind of a voter are you? That That's so incredibly irresponsible. Yeah. I'm sorry, but Scooter says Liam makes more sense than Donald Trump. He does. <laughs> Liam should be running for president in this stance. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> But that's not difficult, Scooter. (laughs) (laughs) This is very, very true. (laughs) All right. But um, we also have a little bit of uh, good news from down in Alabama. And I will give Janet's voice a break. And uh, since my talking seems to keep Liam soothed, um, Alabama has decided to call off its legal battle to defund the state's Planned Parenthoods after a federal judge ruled against the state. Uh, Both Planned Parenthood and the state... Yeah, exactly. Uh, Stated that they had begun funding the clinics in Mobile and Birmingham and that the states were following federal regulations. The state was ordered to pay 151, I'm sorry, $51,000 to Planned Parenthood in back legal fees. Uh, Cecil Richards stated that it was a big win for Planned Parenthood for the poor women of the state who need health services. Alabama Governor Bentley said that Planned Parenthood had changed its practices, which is why they are resuming payments after their quote-unquote despicable and inhumane practices. Uh, Planned Parenthood, which denied any illegal payments, has faced similar challenges from several Republican Republican governors. Uh, The organization filed a lawsuit in Texas last week, and federal judges have blocked attempts to stop Medicaid funding in Louisiana, Arkansas, and Utah. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement said it would not conduct a full criminal investigation into their states. 16 Planned Parenthood affiliates after a preliminary inquiry turned up no evidence that they were selling or mishandling fetal remains. According to a report Monday in the Orlando Sentinel newspaper, Planned Parenthood leaders on Monday said that they remained committed to serving patients in the face of political pressure and last weekend's deadly attack on one of its Colorado clinics. Uh, So following the shooting, which killed three and wounded nine, the anti-abortion Florida Family Policy Council said on Monday it would postpone a protest next week aimed at pressuring state leaders to defund the clinics. So this is a whole lot of good news, which is great to hear. Um... You know, even the Florida Family Policy Council there at the end, uh, they're postponing their protests. They haven't uh, canceled it, but that's something. I wouldn't exactly call it great news, but, you know, it, it, it's okay news. At least they're showing a little it's, bit it's of a respect. Start. It's a yeah, start. It's yeah. a start. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, Joey, we really haven't heard anything from Tennessee uh, but just out of curiosity, have you heard anything about how Planned Parenthood is faring in your state? Uh, no, I haven't heard nothing yet, not on the local news. But I, I really do need to, you know, look in on that because it is, this is a pretty big issue at the moment. And I promise you by tomorrow, by next week, I will learn something. Well, but I haven't heard anything because, you know, if, if something would have happened or anything, they would have said on the local news here. So ain't nothing happened. Since the parent parenthood thing is just you know is in big is in the news and mm-hmm. real you know is is hyped up now it's the hype now at, at this moment, but I haven't heard nothing yet. But I as soon soon as soon as I will hear anything about what's going on here in Tennessee about Planned Parenthood, I will I will let you know you and Janet know. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and uh, I'm hoping that no news is good news. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. And uh, but you Janet. Know how they do those middle of the night crap. Yeah. You know, they don't tell us until they've already done it. Absolutely. It's it's terrible. They do it under cover of darkness because they are ashamed and afraid. Or in a bathroom. Yep. Whilst people are in the bathroom. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was, oh gosh, that was so despicable. I still can't get over that. Just the fact that you would, and I don't even understand how that's legal procedurally. I or, don't either. You know? you know, I don't either. That's the same thing as having a vote when you know people aren't there. Mm-hmm. Just go in by yourself and vote. Yeah. So that's why we need to get them clowns out of our government. As many as we can. Absolutely. So we um, can be able to, to quote unquote, uh, I don't want to say the name, but Trump, Trump, they little laws. Yes, indeed. That's why I say we need more fighters, man. Yes, we do. And I'm going to go ahead and segue to another story real quick. Uh, since we're running short on time and we need to get Wes on for the final hour. Uh, This is Don't Know Shit from Applesauce, but we do not have time to run the jingle. But uh, last week, we discussed uh, Mr. Zimmerman, uh, (laughs) who Joey is a huge huge fan of. Um, Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah. Yeah. Nerd sarcasm. Huge fan. um, But yeah, uh, (laughs) finally... He has crossed the line, and not because he's a murderer, not because he posted his victim's picture online, not because of anything like that, but because he posted naked pics of his ex-wife, and Florida law states that revenge naked pics are against the law. So Twitter has finally banned him. And Joey, I know that you're happy about it, but I know that you have a lot to say about this man, so I am seating you the mic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I ain't got a lot to say, but I got some stuff to say. Uh, you know, the main thing is what I want to when I want to say first is he better be glad that was not my son he killed. You know, he better mm-hmm. be glad of that. You know, I don't want to be making no threats or nothing like that towards the man, but you know, the, uh, that child's family is, is grieving right now, still grieving, and this son of a bitch want to post you know, uh, pictures of they dead son on his Twitter feed, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like a game to him and people talking about Z-Man is a one-man army. Yeah, if he's one-man army, you go face a man. Don't go face a child. Go face a man. You know, and, you know, and and, it, and they take a darn uh, naked, uh, a naked, naked picture of his ex-wife for them to, to you know, to to ban him from Twitter, that right there alone should have banned him from Twitter. Now you know if 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 you if your life was in danger with this person and you killed this person, you won't be posting this picture of his dead body on Twitter. You still probably be having nightmares about you know you killed this person because this person tried to you know hurt me. Yeah, if you, you were, know, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. That's why I say he wanted to kill that boy and he got away with it. And that's why I hate the state of Florida. I hate that, that freaking state. And, you know, I did a little history on Sanford, Florida. Shoot. That's the little town that ran, uh, uh, that black baseball player out of, out of that town before he went to the pros. 
Yeah, it's definitely been a. It's it's man, I I it man, it, it upsets me, man, for somebody just to to do something that foul. You know, because I I know that that I know that pissed his parents, that child's parents off, and I hopefully I hope it pissed some relatives off. Because mm-hmm. I know it would have pissed me off if I would have saw that. Absolutely, I'd be it's... like, I'm coming for you, buddy. Yeah, if you would done that, yeah, you know, I'm coming for you, buddy. I'm gonna kick your ass. Yeah, especially I'm when this. Gonna, I'm not gonna threaten to kill him. I'm gonna kick his ass. Yeah, I mean, especially when those wounds are still fresh and you know, yeah, you, they you, still grieving over that boy's death. Yeah, and you know, there, there's no way that you ever get over that. No way, no way, dude. So, no way, because I see the right to have. I see it in my mother's eyes every day. Every day I see her. I see it in her eyes. She still miss my sister after night from 1987 to now. Mm-hmm. And how long and that's she been? Was, she was uh, killed by a gunshot at a... No, she was trampled to death at a concert. Mm. Her and her best friend <sighs> trampled to death at a concert. And they was number 16 years old. Wow. Wow. And I know that feeling, you know, and somebody, you know, do some crap like that with my sister, you know, and, and make jokes about it and people cheering him on. Mm-hmm. That would piss me off. Dude, I'm come looking for you, dog. Yeah, yeah you can never replace a child. No, no, you know, your child's supposed to bury the parent, right? You know, yep. your child's supposed to bury the parent. Absolutely. All right, so we are. Well, you know, I had to get some of that out. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I had to get a lot of a little bit out. You know, it's still. You know, I'm still. Oh, that that guy, buddy. Your days are numbered. You know, Karma's aren't you glad I? Karma is gonna kick his ass. Mm-hmm. Yep, and as Scooter says, a parent never recovers from the death of a child. I can't mm-hmm. imagine it. Yeah, unless, nope. so, unless and they're Zimmerman really heartless. is nothing but a freaking scumbag. And I wonder if he is allowed to have a gun still in the Prob- state of Florida. Probably. It wouldn't surprise me. I could never live in that Asshole. state. Out of all the bad things I heard about what comes out of that state, I could never live there. Mm-hmm. I heard too much bad stuff come out of that state. Especially what happened to I guess that we had what happened to her father and his and, and the guys that he didn't even know. That was oh God. Mm. It mm-hmm. is definitely rough. All right, but we are pressing up uh we're actually late for a break, but uh we are no, no, no. You, you are fine. Anger therapy is a beautiful thing. So <laughs> we are uh going to go ahead and head to a real quick break here. Uh, we are going to play uh, another song for you with a couple of uh, breaks, and we will get West Coast Garden on the program for Southern Hospitality. So stay tuned here to Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. If somewhere within the Bible I were to find a passage that said 2 plus 2 equals 5, I wouldn't question what I'm reading in the Bible. I would believe it accept it as true, and then do my best to work it out and to understand it. That just makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. Oh, my. Oh, my. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. 
in the distance Dogs are barking at the night White trash are burning up that garbage Somebody's looking for a fight Old Frank's out hunting with his night scope In the backwoods quiet as a mouse Lord knows even in broad daylight Hi, this is Kenny Pick from Turn Up the Night, and you're listening to Indie Media Weekly. Bookmark IndieMediaWeekly.com, and be sure to check out our schedule of fine live programming, as well as podcasts and music shows. And please make Indie Media Weekly one of your favorites on TuneIn. Indie Media Weekly, for those who dare. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. And we know... Democrats support the working men and women of this country, so we understand hard work. So let's talk a little bit about ideas and how we reclaim ideas that we know win in red states. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the final hour of Southern Progressive Revival. I am your host, Jonathan Matthews, and joining me as always are my uh, very own Miss Producer, uh, Ms. Janet Lee from Lake of the Ozarks area, Missouri. Welcome back, ma'am. Well, hi, everybody. Happy Hanukkah to everybody. Hi, Sister Joe. Love you. And everybody in the chat. we got a good house tonight. Awesome. Yes, thank you all so much for listening and being there in the chat with us. We love and to hear what you have to say. 
Yes, and I'm thank you to Sue. Great segment, and looking forward to Wes coming on. And we have a lot of stuff we couldn't get to, so this is exciting. Absolutely. It'll be fun to hear Wes's take on all this. And, uh, of course, last but not least, the man who keeps us all looking cool, Mr. Joey Word from Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome back, sir. Howdy, folks. Hello, everyone in the chat and everyone listening. I'm glad yes. you're here. I'm glad y'all... I'm glad y'all stuck around to hear my rant. <laughs> <laughs> we loved it. All that right. That just pisses me off, man. He pisses me off, dude. I understand. He really uh, pissed me off this time. That crap. Yeah. yeah, Zimmerman is a special kind of stupid. You know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, we are going to go ahead and welcome Mr. Cascarden onto the program with the Southern Hospitality Jingle. So let's get that rolling. Southern Hospitality. It is my privilege to extend to you a laurel and hearty handshake. Whatever you take a notion to, I don't aim to put you out none. Mm, Doggies. That's mighty neighborly. Bless your heart. All right. Are you there, sir? Well, howdy. Hi there. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. That is nice. I like your voice. (laughs) Yes, indeed. It is a good voice. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm used to it. Don't worry. You, you've already flummoxed the producer. Good job, sir. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But yes, thank you so, so much for being here tonight. It is an honor and a privilege. Um, I got to be a co-host on Mike Check Radio for a while, but unfortunately, I never got to do it while you were on the program. So it is a pleasure to get to meet you finally. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I've not been on the air on a show in quite some time because of my weird work schedule. So nights and weekends for you. Yes, indeed. It's always tough to deal with. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of jobs like that that kept me sort of away from doing anything fun or that I enjoyed. But uh, yes, so we have you here tonight. We have so, so much to talk about. But, um, you know, you are a man from the state of Tennessee. Is that correct? That's correct. That is correct. I'm in Chattanooga. Excellent. So, oh, Joey, you have town. a... Oh, I... Yeah. So you, you like, uh, i say, two, three hours uh, east. I mean, yeah, east of me. Yeah, yeah something like that. It's, yeah. it's not a terrible drive. East, uh, southeast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somewhere generally southeast-ish. <laughs> there you go. In that well, that's the home of Samuel L. Jackson, so... <laughs> Hell yeah, he went to my high school, actually. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, cool. I mean, not at the same time. I'm much younger than he is. <laughs> <laughs> they have pictures of him all over. Uh, no, I can't say as uh, as they did that I recall. But um, I do recall being in the background of his like A and E biography special once. That was fun. Oh, cool. Wow. Which is a was... hallway establishing shot. Nothing that interesting. I hate to tell you. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> well, you got to buy one celebrity. I only met one celebrity in my whole life. That was uh, that was the uh, the guy that played Mister Miyagi. Oh, he could do a hell of a lot worse than that, though. <laughs> yeah. I met this him is... back in the nineties. You could have met Ted Cruz. Imagine. <laughs> 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 we were having a nice, pleasant conversation. Yeah. <laughs> fun, fun, 
Nashville story, actually. I was once out uh, with a girl getting a beer, and um, I inadvertently had Jack White by me, by my whole tab. Didn't oh. know who he was. That is awesome. I think he was just entertained by the fact I was the only person who didn't recognize him in the bar. So he was like, <laughs> I, I gotta buy this guy's beer. There's something about him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that's awesome. I love Jack White because his his speaking voice and his singing voice are so so different. Um, of course, he's a phenomenal musician, but I, I remember the first time I ever heard him give an interview, I was just absolutely shocked, and I was just like, "This is the same guy? Is this a Min- Milli Vanilli situation?" And I'm just not catching on. But uh, yeah, he's <laughs> he's well, a pretty if, he, cool guy. if he did speak in a singing voice, that'd be highly entertaining. Yes, yes, it would be. I would like to hear that myself. <laughs> but but yes, Wes, we we are here tonight. Uh, you, of course, are our guest, and we are very happy to have you. Um, we have a lot of very fun things to speak about. Um, this is actually something that we wanted to talk about earlier, and there's my yeah, son. So. It's not really fun. It, yeah, it's, it's, not, it, it's not fun, but you know. Well, you know. <laughs> but we, we live in a world where Ted like, is a thing. How much fun could it be? Yeah, and I'm like, let's just put it out down with Wes's segment because we're just going to have all these stories. <laughs> but yeah, this. So just to, to to give you a little bit of background on this before I play it, um, this was some back and forth going forth on uh, Huffington Post. Uh, in response to the shootings at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Colorado. Um, I will go ahead and play the audio and let it speak for itself. But I wanted to get your uh, opinion on this, so I will go ahead and roll that. John, this horrible act raises the twin topics of both gun control and abortion. What will the political effect of it be? Well, uh, Republicans are right to want to have more information uh, to know. We know more about what the motive of the shooter is. On the face of it, the fact that the guy traveled all the way to Colorado and, and took aim at a, at a Planned Parenthood clinic, made a comment uh, in the one kind of rambling, slightly deranged interview about baby parts, suggests that there was some uh, connection to the abortion issue. Democrats are obviously demagoguing this issue, but if it turns out that this is the reason that this guy did this, there will be much more politicization of it, and there'll be, I think, on Capitol Hill, it will put some brakes on some of the Republican efforts to try to defund Planned Parenthood. So, you know, at first I was kind of uh, hesitant to play that audio because he talked about Democrats politicizing it and, and using it as a means to help Planned Parenthood make it a little bit longer before the the right returns to their normal dastardly ways. Um, but I got to talking to Janet about it, and you know there there really is not a good time to politicize it because if if you wait for that next shooting, if you wait for that next domestic terrorist attack, you're you're going to be waiting your whole life. Yeah, I I just love the uh, the what he had to say there about okay, you know, it may have something to do with the issue of abortion. He yeah. shot up a Planned Parenthood. What the fuck else would it be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what he say I mean, no like, more baby parts. Does he hate vaginas? <laughs> yeah, <that's what laughs> I think they all do. I think they all do. Well, what is with these in? Okay, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, oh no, you're good. Well, and also, when is a good time to talk about it? And why can't we politicize it? It isn't politicizing. When you have gun deaths, mass shooting every day of the week, or, you know, of the year, in fact, 
we've had more than there are days of the year. When is there a good time to talk about it, Wes? When? Well, um, I mean, the question is then, I mean, what do you mean by a good time to talk about it? Like, there's so many complex factors involved in any shooting that, you know, there are some things that can wait and there's some things that can't. True. And some that are patently obvious, like, you know, when some when one political party is whipping up a firestorm about killing babies. I mean, yes, if I earnestly believed that babies were being killed somewhere, I probably would think I had a moral imperative to shoot to shoot the place up. But that but we all know that's ridiculous. And it wasn't true. Yeah, it's a ridiculous claim. But it's like when you have when you have these people stoking up this fear and they just keep they, they keep repeating that, you know, killing babies, killing babies. People who take them at their word are, of course, going to be, be crazy and they should be held accountable for that for that rhetoric. Yes. Yes. And I don't think it's politicizing. I mean, they politicize it all the time. It, yeah, it was politicized when they first brought it up. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole point of it even being in the conversation. That's true. Very true. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. And uh, sort of to, to ask you a two-part question, um, do you think that this is an opportunity for us to perhaps get the right to back off? Or, or do you think that they're going to stick to their guns on this issue and just uh, not apologize and keep moving forward as they always have? And... Uh, you know, secondly, where do you think this leaves candidates like Carly Fiorina, who use this as a central aspect of their campaign, that doctored video, which was probably a contributory factor to this man's actions? Um, well, I mean, it's certainly I mean, it's always there's always an opportunity to to find a way to look at something that's happened and go, OK, and we need to talk about doing something better. But um. I don't know. I feel like, honestly, the, the we've really been failed by the, the right. Okay, let me give you a little background, by the way, when, before we go into gun control. This is what Adam and I argued about every time it came up. So it's fortuitous that I'm here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> gun chat always got a little bit tense, and I always really need a cigarette during the break. <laughs> but... um. I don't know. I feel like the, the, the there's a big failing in the right because a good opposition party that was in line with somebody like me who does have a very important place for you know, collecting guns. It's a hobby. I go shooting. I mean, it's something that's important to me. And the right is failing me by not saying, okay, let's take your proposals and put this other viewpoint to them and modify them and improve them. Rather than just no, 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 we will not back down, we will not compromise, and that, which kind of leaves, um, you asked about Carly Farina, kind of leaves candidates who have that one thing they've harped on, kind of in the dust. I mean, it's it's not like it's easy to underestimate the the Republican base, but at a certain point, you know, the lies come out and. <sighs> You know, and when when somebody just shot over this completely fictitious thing, that's that's crossing that's crossing a line. And I don't think at the end of the day, most people are willing to cross that line. 
Right. And I don't think that we are so far apart, maybe, even. I mean, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, I don't... I'm not one of those people that says, go take everybody's guns, which I've never heard a Democrat say that, truthfully. Oh, no, no. But I do believe there needs to be some kind of... Why does there have to be AR-57s or 47s or whatever they are? And AR-15s. Oh, okay, no, that works. I can't do that, actually. <laughs> but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the AR-15 is an incredibly common weapons platform, and it's not – people have a lot of misconceptions. It's essentially a semi-automatic rifle, just like a regular hunting rifle you can get anywhere. An assault – one of the things that the, that is contentious with me is the idea of an assault weapons ban because the term assault weapon is really meaningless. It's the same caliber, basically the same action as a, as a rifle that's totally okay for hunting in most states and that most people would agree. Like the Mini-14, you look at it, you think, oh, hunting rifle. And so I feel like banning a platform or saying we should, can't sell a certain platform when it's functionally the same as something that has been on every approved list is kind of disingenuous and kind of wasting our time when I think well, the background checks should be our big focus as far as legislation. That's really where people can agree and where we can make some big improvements. Yeah, that's probably true too. Yeah, I think that the the background checks in particular would be very important and and very helpful. Um, although out of curiosity, because I'll I'll be completely honest with you, um, up to this point since we've had this conversation, but since we are having it, and uh, I, I I ask this in all due respect, um, I do not know a whole lot about guns. Uh, I've never owned a gun. I shot a gun once. I hit my target. It hurt, so I decided never to do it again. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, are there any guns that do sort of press the limit and uh, uh, make you question why they exist? Or, or do all guns uh, have a, a practical purpose in the sports world? Uh, I would say both are true. Um, I mean, as far as like things that are out there floating around, um, I understand collectors and I understand having limitations on like – you know, you have to go through this licensing to own this. Um, with, like, for example, Class Three license with fully automatic weapons, you can legally own one, but you have a costly license. And crimes are very rarely committed with them because the people who can afford those licenses don't need to rob anybody. But um, as far as something that I think is a limit for me, I think I think we can agree that fully automatic weapons should at least be difficult to get. Mm -hmm. Um. You would be shocked at what kinds of grenades are actually legal. But grenades? Yes. I mean, flare grenades or like chalk grenades, nothing like explosive. But you can actually go buy a grenade launcher on the street. You just can't you can't buy explosive grenades for it. Jesus. Huh. Scooter says the USA used to have horrific fatality <laughs> rates on our highways and we passed tons of laws to lower the rates over the last sixty years. We need to do the same thing for gun deaths. It's a public health and safety issue. I agree with that. And that's that's why I take offense at like the, the uh, right saying, you know, oh, we can't do anything at all. Anything, anything, anything. Yeah, and I think that there's got to be a point where we could, you know, as sane people sit down and say, okay, those on 
the left, and I know there's got to be, that say, take away all the guns. And those on the right that say, everybody gets a gun, including terrorists, although my son and I kind of went back and forth on this today because he visited me this weekend. And his point was, if you ban people from having guns that are on a suspected terrorist list, you've taken away their due process. And he's a lefty. He's a lefty, okay? Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and he said, I don't think they should be able to own guns but you've taken away due process. And I said, we've taken away all kinds of due process in this country. And he goes, that doesn't mean we should. Yeah, I mean, that's an issue that we have. I mean, if you look at the legal definition of what is a terrorist, I mean, that's still in effect from the Bush years. I mean, legally, um, I've pirated MP3s in my life. Therefore, I'm a terrorist, according to that list. Yes, we should not. I don't think, I think we should include something like a, terror suspect like being suspected of fringe like violent political beliefs but we should also have a better system of finding these people too of making yes. sure we know who they are before we put anything in their file well and like nova says every time the conversation gets started the whole second amendment argument and it's not even the entirement argument gets thrown around until the conversation shuts down and it's making me crazy oh yeah it's, that's one of the, what kind of goes back to what I was saying about how the right has failed as an opposition party because they're making the worst arguments. The Second Amendment argument is completely weak. It pretty clearly specifies a well-regulated militia, and you can pick apart the semantics of it all you want. It's pretty specific. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good argument, and there are good arguments that could be made for refining potential laws that just get lost in the shuffle because they won't they won't give an inch. Right. Well, and you know, not everybody in the NRA is crazy, but as Caitlin says, but people like Wayne Lapierre are the ones who are the loudest, and they run it. But they're doing it for the gun manufacturers. So you know, we oh yeah, the NRA doesn't something. represent me. Right. You know, you know, I yes, I like guns. I like shooting. The NRA does not represent my interests. Neither, neither mine. And you know, and I'm a gun owner. Yeah, I just got mine for protecting the house. You know, I live alone and disabled. Oh yeah, I kind of. <laughs> I mean, the neighborhood I live in, I've had shootings on my streets, uh, like by my front little neighborhood. Like I've had three in the last couple months. I mean, it's wow. It does happen, and. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I keep a safely secured nightstand pistol because you know, if somebody busts in my house and is intending me harm, then I'll be gone before the cops get there. And that's just not a good option for me. Yeah, yeah. So, Same here. Because <laughs> I'm going to protect myself. <laughs> I hope to God I never have to use it. I don't want to. And that's the big difference. Me too. Me too, man. Yeah. You know, I really don't want to use it. I really don't. Yeah, but I will if there, I you have, have your, to. You have your Ted Nugent's out there saying, "Yeah, mm-hmm. I just want to shoot somebody." I'm like, no, I, I would hate to have to shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, if they're stealing my TV, I'll let them go because I don't want to shoot them. Yeah, well, Scooter says the Second Amendment doesn't even really serve a purpose anymore, and we'd been better off without it. I understand the spirit in which it was intended. I mean. There was the chance. I mean, historically, there are times when we 
because when the Constitution was originally drafted, we didn't have a standing army, and we our entire defense force was militias. So it made sense in that context, but now we have a standing army and we have the National Guard. In fact, I've made um, – I'm not sure I think it's the right decision, but one that I've always kind of kicked around and liked is if you want to own guns, join the National Guard. It's a well-regulated or, militia. Well, and another thing I think, if you're going to own a gun, you need to have to take classes. I, I agree. Think, and show that you can use it. I mean, <clears throat> I got a gun, and first time I tried to handle it, I almost shot this – Blake's head off because I didn't realize it was loaded, number one, and didn't know what the buttons were for, and he started walk over, and he's like, stop, there's a bullet in the deal, and I just dropped it, and he's like looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you, know, you should you should at least, like, before you put somebody puts one in your hand, you should at least know what the parts are. You should at least kind of know how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's not intuitive, and all the action movies in the world won't really teach you. No, and so now I shoot at squirrels with my little pellet gun. That's what a whole lot of these get them out of my tree, yeah, so they don't shoot poop on my deck. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's our whole. That's how a whole lot of these. uh... Gun owning clowns think they're off in a Bruce Willis movie or something. Oh yeah, you ever you hear them justify? Oh, if I were there, I'd yeah, dive yeah. the crowd, firing a gun in each hand like a character in a John Woo movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What would have happened is fight or flight would have kicked in. You'd have either frozen or run, and that's fine. That's what people do. That's how we work. Mm-hmm. But unless you had been extensively trained. You would have frozen, or you would have run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, and like Scooter said, you know, he's not talking about banning guns; just no need for individual rights, <clears throat> you know, in there. But um, and then those goddamn squirrels. Yeah, I, I have an issue with them in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew Janet had such a visceral hatred for squirrels? Uh- <laughs> hey, you're the gun guy. You're meaner to the squirrels than I am. I just like shake my fist at him and curse. Well, now my go. granddaughter, she's two years old. I she's taken a broom now and she goes out there and started saying, "Squirrels, duckas, squirrels." My daughter's like, "Thanks, mom." She's two years now too. <laughs> So now I'm nice. going to say, there are friends. So let's look for spiders instead. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. No, well, so, anyway. We, oh, no, 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 no. You are great. And uh, we, we are uh, going to have to run to a break real quick. Uh, we will be continuing our conversation with Mr. Cascaden and uh, have a little bit of news about some dirty dealings in the media, which uh, apparently is becoming a secondary theme of the show. Uh, so we will be right Sweet. back here. Yes, indeed. Uh, so we'll be right back here with Wes and the others on Southern Progressive Revival right after this break. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. We have been the instrument of change in the past. We know what needs to be done. We know how to do it. We know that we can impact policies which affect education, human rights, civil rights, 
economic and social opportunity. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. Hi, this is Kenny Pick, and be sure to listen to my music program, The Night Show, every Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern, right here on Indie Media Weekly. The Night Show features a broad selection of eclectic music from my personal library, as well as your requests. So be sure to visit IndieMediaWeekly.com and find the tab for The Night Show. Join the chat and submit your requests every Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern on The Night Show. Only on Indie Media Weekly. IndieMediaWeekly.com for those who dare. This is Adam Hebert. A man with breathtaking anger management issues. And I hope that you will listen to my program, Mike Check Radio with Adam Hebert, live every Saturday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Fuck yeah! Every week on Mike Check Radio, me and my co-hosts, Rob Poole and Kenny Pig, will talk about the week's news with righteous indignation, facts, and a large dose of comedy. Inconceivable! Join us as we try to answer the question of just how many Republican douchebags there are in Washington, D.C. It's over 9,000! <laughs> we'll also crown our assholes of the week during our program. You are the leading asshole in the state. Finally on our show, we'll also talk about the latest in news from video games, comic books, film, science, anime, and manga. All for your entertainment and learning pleasure. Well, that sounds really shallow and stupid. Let's try it. Don't forget, that's Mike Check Radio with Adam Hebert, live every Saturday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, and only here on Indie Media Weekly Radio. For those who dare. Oh, and Cranker demands that you listen to our program. <laughs> you are crazier than a crap fight in a monkey house. Hey, Joe, what are you doing? Repairing the GOP clown car. What's wrong with it? Well, you know your show. You mean the Tim Cormall show right here on IndieMediaWeekly.com? Yes. Where each week a panel of guests joins us for a progressive roundtable discussion about politics, news, and other fun topics? Yes. And you know how we check out which members of the GOP climbed into the clown car each week? Yes. Well, there's been so many GOP clowns lately, they broke the springs. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yes. But don't worry. With the GOP presidential primary season coming up, the clown car will now have new heavy-duty springs to carry the load. So not only will our show be way better than those Sunday cable shows, we'll also have our very own clown car. Right. Now, close that garage door, Tim, before the clowns get in. Join us in our panel of guests every week right here on Indie Media Weekly. Oh, and don't forget, we have clowns. Dang it, I think a few slipped through. Tune in for the Tim Coromall Show on Indie Media Weekly Radio, Mondays and Wednesdays at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, or in prime time on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on Indie Media Weekly Radio at IndieMediaWeekly.com. Well, hello there. This is Kenny Pick. Thanks for listening to Indie Media Weekly. Be sure to check out my show, Turn Up the Night with Kenny Pick, live every Tuesday and Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on Indie Media Weekly. For those who dare. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. One of the issues I don't think we hear enough about and really can't hear enough about is preparing our students and our people, particularly those who have lost jobs, for the jobs of the future. We need to make sure that our education systems are in place. Southern Progressive Revival 
at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the final part of Southern Progressive Revival for this Sunday, December 6th. And uh, since he is our guest, I will welcome him back first, uh, Mr. Wes Cascarden from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome back, sir. Oh, hi. It's uh, Carscadden, by the way. Oh, Carscadden. I am. I, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so okay. used to hearing the recording by the, <laughs> that voiceover guy. <laughs> that's what i hear in my head when i when i think of your last name but anyway far worse things <laughs> i could have completely but you know car, what let's see how could i butcher it Karskadaden. there we go but <laughs> i'll try to get it right from now on and uh of course our very own ms producer miss janet lee from lake of the ozarks area missouri well howdy everybody and we're still getting quite a few comments on the gun issue very cool. Uh, and last but not least, Mr. Joey Word from Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? Yes, indeed. All right. So uh, to get back into the discussion here, uh, this week, in light of the uh, shootings in California and San Bernardino, um, there was a lot of access to video and footage as things happened that we haven't really seen before in prior incidents. Uh, there was one thing in particular that I wanted to get your opinion on, uh, and we will go ahead and play that audio as an example, and uh, we'll say a little bit more, and then I will turn you looser. So here we go. And you go through some of what we're seeing, ammunition, uh, hard drives, uh, laptops, thumb drives, uh, rifle cleaners, Rolodex, a gun cleaning kit, uh, a bolt for uh, an M4 style rifle, it says, and it just goes on page and page. And, and there are some signs here that uh, these two left in in a hurry, potentially, or you know, after the news of what happened here on Wednesday, um, Farouk's mother left in a hurry because there's uh, half-eaten unleavened bread that's sitting on top of the uh, washing machine. Um, so again, they're about. 50, now probably more than 50 members of the, the press around here taking photographs. Uh, but it's, it's it's obviously, you know, from the list here that this home was, was full of more than was necessary for a small family. I mean, you have the, the list of all the weapons here, boxes and boxes of ammunition, uh, different uh, calibers of bullets that are listed. Uh, we still have not gotten into the garage where uh, we're told that this factory where these 12 pipe bombs were found and all of the materials to make more. But the list here paint a really clear picture. Okay, so uh, that was audio from CNN. Uh, they, in case you weren't able to tell what it was, they were inside of the suspect's home um, looking around. They were phoning in a telephone report. Um, of course, there were a lot of television outlets that did this. Uh, CNN, CBS, uh, they, they rushed into the home without permission. They were taking footage of things. And... What really got me, and I really wanted to get your opinion on this, um, MSNBC in particular, who has really disappointed me this week, um, went into the home. Uh, they showed a driver's license. They showed a social security card that belonged to Farouk's mother and all of this other personal information. And, you know, there are even outlets that, reported that the landlord let them in 
But when CBS News contacted them, the landlord denied that they had even opened the building to reporters. Um, basically, the landlord had just opened the door, and then the media rushed into the apartment to get video of whatever they could. But just doing this, going in, uh, MSNBC in particular, showing private information live on television for people to see, I think is a new level of low. And it really greatly got my goat. Uh, what What are your thoughts? Wes? I agree. Yeah. I think it's disgusting. I mean, okay. First of all, there's no reason the media should be there in the apartment immediately before anybody else. They're not going to help anything. I mean, we're trying to understand, you know, these people and this thing they've done and why they've done it, and they're reporting on the half-eaten shit in the washer. I mean, okay. First of all, these guys were uh, what, in their like, early 20s. You should see some of the places I lived in my early 20s. There was half shit everywhere. But um, <laughs> they, and, what, they did, what they did was con- contaminated during crime scene. Exactly. I mean, this, was what ne- this is a place that needed investigation. And they came mm-hmm. in and they immediately started just like listing everything that was there and making this big story out of it. You know, ratings, of course. But mm-hmm. – um, but yeah, I mean, they don't, they, they would, even when they started listing, you know, this amount of this caliber, this amount of this caliber, this amount of this caliber, I remember looking through that, uh, looking through that list and going, oh, that's really not that much. I mean, like, the, they, they'll fi- they find like five or six boxes of like 223 and they make as they say, you know, several hundred rounds. Well, yes, but you go through a lot of rounds just shooting. I mean, that said, we know, we know what these guys did. But and also, I mean, that really it, it disturbs me about the mother because she did nothing wrong. To the best of our knowledge, she's committed no crime. She's probably as blindsided as they are. So let's just broadcast her personal information over the airwaves. Yeah, it's it's absolutely disgusting. And MSNBC's only response was to stay in a statement, you know, that um and, and this is a direct quote. Um, although MSNBC was not the first crew to enter the home, we did have the first live shots from inside. We regret that we briefly showed images of photographs and identification cards that should not have been aired without review. Um, you know, how, how is that an apology? And it's like we were talking about with Sue earlier in the show. The media has just devolved. They no longer report news. They try to get numbers. They try to get viewers. They do anything that they can to excite the public and to get viewership, and and that's all that they're doing. Oh yeah, I feel that it's it really is a symptom of the twenty four hour news cycle, which we've been dealing with and has been degenerating for years. Because when you have the twenty four hour news networks, they have twenty four hours to fill, and they got to put something on. So and and there's such a fierce competition between the different networks that they're going to be the first there with whatever they can grab that will get people's attention, regardless of vetting or regardless of fact-checking or regardless of actually reporting solid news. I mean, and there's really not a good outlet in the U.S. for that right now. I mean, one cable news outlet's as bad as the other as in terms of, maybe not in terms of message, but in terms of just wanting to get the ratings right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
of, of course, Fox News has their own uh, additional set of crimes. Uh, Al Jazeera America, I, I think, is, is sadly the closest thing we have to a legitimate news source at this point. Al Jazeera? Man, yeah. that sounds like some of the terrorist words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Friend by ISIS. <laughs> oh, I like Jazeera too, or BBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, BBC does a great job. Um, yeah, BBC have generally generally done well with us. Um, NPR can be hit or miss, but they're generally good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the big ones: CNN, MSNBC, uh, Fox News, uh, CBS. Just, just no. MSN. And CNN in particular, I I have never in my life seen reporters that jump to conclusions that quickly. Um, NBC uses breaking news as a mission statement. Perk Scooter. (laughs) I mean, you've got three big cable networks. You've got MSNBC for the sometimes dumb. You've got CNN for the usually dumb. You've got Fox for the always dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Scooter says NBC. There's a niche for all. How low, how low can they go? <laughs> <laughs> you seem like all the outlets trying to out Fox Fox, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they still hold the championship. Don't, don't get me wrong. No, oh, yeah. They are definitely number one in the category of BS Mountain. But, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh gosh, but but I have to tell you when 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 that plane was lost and uh, we weren't able to find it, CNN's 3D models of that plane really <laughs> just put it into perspective for me. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. I couldn't really conceptualize an airplane. Yeah, like, I heard the word and I was like, I, this sounds like something I've seen before, but I just nah, it's not happening for me. And then I saw it. Oh, those things we fly in, right? Yeah. <laughs> And they have wings. I was so shocked. I just thought it was this tube that flew blindly through the sky. And yeah, it was great. But uh, the black hole discussion. Oh my god! Like they were talking about that could have gone through a black hole and da 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 in the ocean. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. Well, <laughs> maybe it went through the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Oh, did they talk about that too? I just I popped on on a black hole one night, and I was like, "That's it, I'm done, I'm out of here." <laughs> yeah, trust me. If there was a black hole in the ocean, we'd know it real quick. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'd find out. <laughs> we wouldn't last very long afterward, but we'd know. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, "You all know anything about science? What has happened to science?" <laughs> Science? Who cares about science? <laughs> Man, that's for real. People want to get beat up and get their lunch money took. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nerds. <laughs> Damn crazy nerds. Yep. And, <laughs> oh gosh. And, uh, we. <laughs> oh god, I'm sorry. I can't stop laughing. Anyway, um, we have a, uh, sort of related story. Um,. <laughs> That I wanted to go over with you too. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, C.J. Pearson or not. Uh, YouTube sensation, darling of the Republican Party, and uh, sort of a, a I, I don't, I can't think of a PC term for for what he is. He's douchebag. Uh, yeah, that- sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, douchebag. 
So, um, yeah, he, he, he loves the media. The media loved him. Um, of course, he, he became famous earlier this year by releasing a video where he agreed with Rudy Giuliani's statement about Obama not loving America. Um, he put out a succession of videos um, championing, championing conservative values. Um, but just out of the blue, he's decided that the Republican Party is racist and he has cut all ties, which, you know, on the face of it, I'm happy that he came around and that he's realized that that he's been batting for the wrong team there. But at the same time, this kid, wow, the things that have come out from him, the stuff that I have heard ever since he started this youtube journey of his um yeah i have really mixed emotions about the story i don't know if it's a good news story or a bad news story well he's not well, wrong he, yeah and he's 13 yeah so and 13 year olds are rather arrogant this is true in my humble opinion as 20 years and it's an educator um and teaching that age level but and he was working for Ted Cruz, wasn't he, at the end when he realized that Republicans were racist? <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> you little shit butt. Imagine that, spending some time in one of their campaigns, he suddenly hit this epiphany. <laughs> that said, I mean, honestly, you know what? Kid's 13 years old and is actually engaging in politics and learning and evolving. Great. When I was 13, what was I thinking about? Boobies. <laughs> you know, I was stupid at that time myself. Yeah, one thing about politics. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, oh, young girl down the street. <laughs> like, oh, suddenly they have these things on their chests. Huh. <laughs> Those are nice. <laughs> oh gosh! But I yeah, remember the girls looking at the guys. Guys looking at the girls. Mm-hmm. I I was sadly one of one of the nerds. Don't seem so bad. <laughs> exactly. Except but thirteen-year-old uh, girls want sixteen-year-old boys. They don't want other thirteen-year-old boys. Girl, yeah, thirteen-year-old girls usually want the sixteen-year-old boys. Oh, don't get me wrong. That age, the girls had nothing to do with me. Don't don't get me wrong there. Thirteen-year-old boys can't get a girl. I mean, that's just. There's just, oh my god, they're nuts. Oh, and the angst of it is part of the, you know, existential experience of growing up as a teenager. Right. And it's an important so, part I mean, of being. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of why I felt kind of. I had a little. And plus, he was living in Georgia. I mean, what do you think he's heard his whole life? Mm hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, we know there's liberals in Georgia. We know that. We know there's liberals in every single state. Um, but if you don't hear anything else and you just hear, you know, if all your parents and the people around you are listening to Frick News, um, you're not going to hear anything to, to say anything different. So the fact that he got in, and I agree with Wes, and started working on... Um, Ted Cruz's campaign, and then in November said, up, up yours with the rubber hose. I'm not staying here anymore. <laughs> 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 this is not cool. <laughs> and that's pretty bad when you got a 
poster child, you know, the Republican Party dumping you. <laughs> That's sad when your your arguments for what you your your whole political party are so bad. A thirteen year old kid looks at him and goes, "Wait a minute." <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like it seems like honestly, it seems like the Republican platform should most appeal to the whole teenage angst dem- demographic. Yeah, you would think so. Everybody, everybody <laughs> wants to take away my religion and my guns. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that you're one purple plains of desolation away from a goth teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That is so true, and they. They are so passionate about whatever it is they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are so hard to talk to. They really are. And I, I remember when I was uh, 13, that's actually when the political bug hit me. So I, I was sort of an atypical teenager myself. Uh, but at the time, I was a member of the American Reform Party, which was an offshoot of the Reform Party that Ross Perot started. Uh, and I was just convinced that Ross Perot was the second coming of Jesus and uh, that he was a really cool guy. So I am glad that I have grown up and I have learned things and have become a better person. <laughs> so <laughs> Nothing to prop to Ross Perot because he helped us get Clinton, and I'm fine with that. This is true. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah, he was just, he was just bat crap crazy. <laughs> yeah, he was special. Uh, although I think that Donald Trump at this point is redefined crazy. So yeah, you you don't stand next to the Donald. I mean, you could be Hulk Hogan running for office, going, "Hey, brother, come vote for me," and you'd look perfectly cognizant and sane. <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> name your mythological creatures, whatever. Name your candidates. Stand next to Trump. They look reasonable. There you go. <laughs> okay, so I've I've got to ask you. I will eat your liver. Hmm. <laughs> oh yes, please, please, Mister Trump. Oh yeah, and then him signing the booby. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was that was classy. It was huge. It was great. I had a great plan. <laughs> And I wrote it on her tits. So come and look. Whoa. <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna make Mexico pay for the wall with her tits. Kind, <laughs> <laughs> sweet ass knockers. Oh god. Oh god. So apparently they are tremendous. They are tremendous. <laughs> yes, they are tremendous. And uh, no, to the listeners, we are uh, of course making fun of Donald Trump's misogyny and are not misogynists ourselves. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, I had to ask you one question since we sort of snuck that into the conversation and Ted Cruz has been mentioned a couple times. Um, who is your, since this is a primarily uh, Southern politics-based show, who is your least favorite or most hated, however you want to say it, uh, Southern candidate for president right now? Uh, Southern candidate? Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know where people are from. My least favorite... Mm. Ben Carson is from Virginia. Uh, Uh, Let's see. Honestly, I feel like Ben Carson might not be the worst of the bunch, though, because he'll enter office and just kind of go into a coma. (laughs) He'll just take the last couple of Xanaxes and just fall asleep. So we could do worse. Uh, (laughs) 
I'm not just a man. I'm a businessman. Rubio is from Florida, <laughs> correct? I don't really yeah, this. He's up there. He's. I think he might be my least favorite Southern one because the only other, the only other Southern one I can think of is Rand Paul, and I, I almost hate that sometimes he says something that makes him go, "Yeah," and then he keeps talking. I know, <laughs> but because when it comes <laughs> to Rand Paul's, Virginia. can't forget Miss Carly. Yep, she's Virginia. Oh, and, and Jeb Bush, as mm. John Peebles saying says, uh, margin of error is beating him in the polls now. <laughs> so I got a funny story about Jeb Bush. Did you know that Jeb Bush's name is actually a conjugation of the F word in in uh, Serbian? Really? Yes. Oh, hey. So whenever you see his posters, like with the you know Jeb exclamation point in Serbian, it just says "fuck." <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's how I would feel about a Jeb You're Bush welcome. presidency. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would say too if he got elected. I can't imagine. <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah. I, I say that. The thing is, like, I could never be okay with Jeb Bush as president because if you look at his face in profile, he looks like Beavis. He looks like who? You know, Beavis and Butthead, like Beavis. Oh, oh he does. I never oh, thought about that before. Yeah, he's got that same kind of mouth and that same kind of nose. He looks just like Beavis. <laughs> You'll never unsee it. Yep, I'll never be able to unsee it now. Thank you, Wes. That that is been... You're welcome. <laughs> Hopefully he will not run again next election cycle. I you know. Jeb Butthead would be a good losing ticket. Yeah. Yeah. That and would be great. Pataki, is he a Democrat or a Republican? Uh Pataki is a uh a Republican. Republican. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's oh. from Virginia, isn't he? Or... Uh no, George Pataki? Oh no, he, he's from the north, isn't he? Yeah, he's from New York. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's a. Uh, I know he was at point governor of New York. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, really? Not that means anything. I mean, people travel around states wherever they can win. Yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah, he was. Um, he was really the only Republican candidate that I could moderately stomach until he came out with this tweet recently stating that uh, we ought Muslim. to kill all. Kill yeah. Radical Muslims. So, yeah. Yeah. So, sadly. Yeah, genocide's he, a butt for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just kind of a little bit too far, you know. Not a fan. I no. know it's an extreme view, but it's. Anybody who advocates genocide, I got, I got to not give my vote to. I, I, I understand, you know. You just got to make those tough decisions in life sometimes. <laughs> I mean, maybe a big, beautiful wall. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the wall's good, you know, since it's big and beautiful. Those are important points. With a big, beautiful gate. <laughs> Scooter says, fucking Serbian is Jebbath, J-E-B-A-T-H. <laughs> that is awesome. Some conjugation or something? I, think, I don't know. Maybe I'm completely full of crap. This is something I vaguely <laughs> looked up and found it entertaining, so I didn't look any further. <laughs> because the comedy was worth more than the accuracy. <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna go with it. I think that expresses the views of uh, everybody that listens to this program. Special word in Russian. Oh, I'm not up my Russian profanity. Sorry, I can't help you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, unfortunately, this yeah, this hour has flown. Uh, 
But uh, yes, I uh, first of all, uh, Wes, I want you to be able to say your parting words. But uh, I wanted to thank you so much for being on the program. It was a hoot. You had a lot of wonderful things to say. Uh, you were hilarious, and I hope that we can get you back on in the future. Oh, I'd love to. I'd had a great time. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I will uh, let you say your parting words first, sir. Uh, well, let's see. I don't have anything prepared. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks again for having me, and uh, we're going to build a big, beautiful wall. <laughs> yes, That's indeed. All, I got. all right. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful words from a beautiful guest. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, next, we will move on to Mr. Joey Word. Hey, yeah, I'd like to thank you two guys, uh, Jonathan and Janet. I'd like to thank you, Wes, for coming on the show. And if you're listening, I'd like to thank you, Sue, and and happy Hanukkah to you, sweetheart. And I'd like to thank everybody in the chat room. Hey, what's up? And everyone's listening. Everyone's listening. Beautiful. And, of course, last but not least, Mrs. Janet Lee. I'd like to say happy Hanukkah, and thank you to Sue and to... Um, Wes and to everybody in chat and for your contributions I enjoy reading them and um, putting y'all out there on air and <clears throat> snork says duh I wonder if that's a special word anyway um, <laughs> so, good night everybody <laughs> night sister Joe love ya yes indeed and uh, for me your host I uh, would like to thank Wes again uh, Sue Cohen for being on the program tonight it was a honor to speak to both of you you were both phenomenal um, all of you who are listening thank you so much for listening as always I hope that you will come back next week and uh, we promise to have another awesome show for you again so from all of us here at Southern Progressive Revival once again a very happy first night of Hanukkah and y'all take care we'll see you again next week Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern only on Indie Media Weekly have a great night y'all I've got to let you go thank you so much I okay, appreciate that's it that's wonderful that, to see yeah, you yeah well yes yeah. uh-huh, right yeah, great you come back and see me you hear good night mama good night Ben good night everyone good night mama good night daddy Good night, children. Good night, Dad. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, John Boy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob.